Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. What a moment indeed. Yes, sir. Good morning, everybody. Along with Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Macnow. And Phillies fans wake up with a grin, a smile today, as they realize for the first time in 11 years, their team has a great chance to advance to the NLCS. Yesterday was one of those great, great moments in Philadelphia sports that all, what, 46, 47,000 plus who were who were here at the ballpark and th- hundreds of thousands more who watched it on TV will remember for years to come. All right, Mike Sielski, we are in for what is a, well, we are in what is currently a very quiet Citizens Bank Park. Big difference from yesterday. Yes. uh, The sun came up on this beautiful ball field a couple hours ago. And four hours from now, the Phillies and Braves will begin game four. We have so much to go over. I just want to start get your overview of yesterday, what it means as the Phillies crush the Braves and uh, nemesis Spencer Strider, 9-1. to one. You know, Glenn, watching the game yesterday, it occurred to me that a game like yesterday is the ultimate sweet spot for Philadelphia sports fans. You know, the series is tied. The team's elimination isn't at stake. Fans can go in with a total clear conscience. Their team is an underdog, but still pretty good with a puncher's chance. All the circumstances were set up for the atmosphere that you saw in the ballpark yesterday, and then for the performance from the Phillies. I think it's one of the best days that Philadelphia sports has had in a long, long time. It is the best day Philadelphia sports has had in a long time, and what is a great weekend of Philadelphia sports, or at least portends to be, of course. Yes, the game we said today, 207 opening pitch. Tomorrow night, Eagles-Cowboys, South Philadelphia. What more could you ask for? Mike, today, Charlie Morton for the Braves, Noah Syndergaard, uh, probably a a parade of yeah. thousands for the <laughs> Phillies as they aim to, I can't believe what I'm about to say, take this series and move on to play the winner of Dodgers versus Padres. By the way, Padres up 2-1 to one in that one. Mm-hmm. Maybe just maybe that red October continues into November. Again, quick overview today. What are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at the fact that Rob Thompson has already texted me to ask if I'm available to come out of the bullpen today (laughs) Um, because that's the kind of game it's going to be for the Phillies. Um, They're not going to win this game, I think, as much as they survive it. You don't have Nola going. You don't have Zach Wheeler going. Charlie Martin has a lot of experience in the postseason. If they're going to win today, as you said, it's going to take a collective effort particularly out of that bullpen uh, because Noah Syndergaard, if he gives you four or five innings, you take that and you say, okay, great. Now 
let's let's try to hold on uh, for the remaining four. Yeah, and and your bullpen is 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 refreshed. Yeah. because you got such a great start from Nola. All right, let us go over yesterday. Well, the biggest Phillies inning in a decade. It, it was a remarkable turn of events. All it right. really was. Through two innings, Spencer Strider's untouchable. He's whipping those 100-mile-an-hour fastballs by him. Going to into that inning, the Phillies were 7-for-80 against Strider this year. I, I was convinced after those two innings that, that Strider's mustache could come out to the mound and throw a four-hit shutout against the Phillies. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, my only hope was... He's on a pitch count, 50, 60 pitches. He'll, he'll, at this rate, he'll only go four. Yeah, that, yeah. Was my, that was my hope. Well, it, what was intriguing about it was, you know, the Braves had said going into the game, Strider's going to give us two innings and then we'll see. And so he was so dominant in those first two that you thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to be out there for three, four, five, and all of a sudden this snowball is going to get rolling and, you know, who's going to get a hit off of this guy? All right, but here we go. Bottom of the third. And by the way, we'll get to the top of the third in a little bit because Aaron Nola deserves a lot of mention. Bottom of the third. Brad Marsh walks on four pitches. Huge. Is starting to think something? Yeah, you are starting to think something because he was high with each pitch. Strider was. Um, He was up and out of the zone. Uh, And John Smoltz mentioned this on the Fox telecast that he threw a slider uh, coming out of that Marsh walk to kind of get him back in the strike zone. But his velocity now was down a tick, and that was just enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Gene Segura comes up. He strikes out. Uh, okay. What are you going to do? Next, Strider tries to pick off Brad Marsh, throws it down the first base or past first base down the right field line. Marsh gets all the way to third base. This is the sort of thing that changes a playoff game to me. Um this is the kind of thing where if it's a, if it's game 112 in the regular season, you go, okay, well, you know, maybe he'll get his way out of it. If we're down one nothing, uh, that that's just the way it is. In a playoff game, that can change everything. And the fact that the Phillies had not been able to touch him for two innings and now all of a sudden had a runner on third base, it changes the entire demeanor of the dugout. It changes the demeanor of the ballpark. It changes the demeanor of the pitcher on the mound. I got news. I'm hoping for a sack fly at that point, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's basically – Just put a ball in play. Right. That's what I'm hoping for. But up steps Bryson Stott, nine pitch at bat, right? Which I, I love I, I love the long at bat against a pitcher starting to tire. You foul it off. You make him work. Here you go. And then Bryson Stott does this. By the way, Fran, and we'll we'll get we're going to hear a lot of Fransky in L.A. today. <laughs> Actually, hear a lot of Larry Anderson because he's going to join us here at noon, mm-hmm. right here in our booth to talk about the game. Those guys were on their game so much. They were, and the cool and uh, I guess revealing you'd say part about that at bat is that Bryson Stott fouled off four two strike pitches. It's not just that he fouled off four pitches and made Strider work. He fouled off four pitches with two strikes, and that sets up this dynamic if you're Strider. Like, what do I throw to him 
to try to get him out. Do I try to blow him away with a fastball, which, as we said, it's not quite as fast as it was in the first two innings? Or do you speed up his bat and throw him a breaking ball, which is exactly what Strider did, and Stott whacked it into the right field corner? Nicely, uh, nicely explained. Now comes Kyle Schwarber, who can't buy a hit this <laughs> postseason. 0 for 17. What do you do when a guy's 0 for 17? You walk him. <laughs> I was happy with that. Yeah, look, um, you know, he, he hadn't, as you said, he was 0 for 17. He was in one of those slumps. Uh, and this is the thing, this is the cool part of playoff baseball, right? This is strategy. Do you say to your pitcher, go get the guy who's 0 for 17 but led the National League in home runs this year? Or do you say, the guy led the league in, in home runs this year, we can't pitch to him in this situation. We could lose the game right here put him on base, and let's go after the other guy who isn't right, hitting right now, right. Reese Hoskins. <laughs> and what a series it had been for Hoskins, right? Wednesday night, he can't field the ground ball. Horrible play. Really hurt him in the game. Early in this game, he can't lasso one. It's the poor throw from Bone, but he probably should have had it. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta uh, – wait, was that, that before that or after that? I forgot. Anyway. It was early in the game. It didn't lead to anything. Yeah, it didn't lead to anything. That's right. But he has the one later on, which does lead to something. Right, Okay. I can't keep track of all the Reese Hoskins poor fielding (laughs) plays. I apologize. I I said to somebody yesterday, Glenn, if Mitch Williams had been a first baseman, he would have been Reese Hoskins. (laughs) Yeah, because you get those highlights. Exactly. you got to deal with the other stuff. Okay. We played the home run coming in. It was, for Reese Hoskins, a great moment. The bat slam was classic. That's going to be replayed on the internet for years to come around Philadelphia. I, uh, Devin Caney, who does some stuff on WIP, very accurately posted it was a Rob Gronkowski <laughs> uh, slam there. Um, and it's it's the reason that he is on the team. I'm sorry, that's also ha- uh, Harper. But it, it was a great moment and just, you know, you, kind of your perspective on yeah, it. Yeah, look, that's when Citizens Bank Park gets electric is it is a big moment like that you know you see Hoskins hit that home run and you're thinking back to Shane Victorino in the 2008 playoffs hitting the grand slam off CC Sabathia you're thinking about you know Chase Utley tying a game in the league championship series you're thinking about all these moments of the Phillies past that nobody's gotten to live in 11 years and so when Hoskins hits that ball the way he hits it in the situation he hits it this place is like a bottle of seltzer that somebody's shaken up and just taken the cap off of. I mean, it just, as um, you know, as Joe Davis said on the telecast, this place exploded. Yeah, it was great. It was great. By the way, that was the first pitch of the at-bat. Real Muto comes in, singles to left on the first pitch of his at-bat. Out goes Strider. In comes Dylan Lee, the lefty. Mm-hmm. And here comes Bryce Harper. And here comes Bryce Harper. And they wanted the lefty clearly against Harper. Harper, so far this season, this is, uh, let me give you this. This is from our pal Jason Stark, actually. Who? Never heard of him. Dylan Lee had faced 77 left-handed batters this year. It held him to one home run all season. Well. Okay? So he's that loogie. He's mm-hmm. that guy you're not supposed to hit one. Nobody told that to Bryce Harper because here's what happens on the first pitch of that at bat. Here's Harper against Dylan Lee. Runner at first, one down, and the pitch hit high and deep. Right field, and that one (laughs) is headed out. Yes. Bryce Harper with a two-run home run over the out-of-town scoreboard in right center. 6-0 Philadelphia. 
In four pitches, the Phillies scored six runs. If that's not a record, it's got to be pretty damn close. It, it was amazing. They had not had a six-run inning in a postseason game until this series, and now they've done it twice in three games. Wait, all those teams from the, the great run? Never, I don't think never so. Never I think I, I'm wow. pretty sure about that. Um, you know, if, if there's a caller who knows otherwise, the, they can correct me. Maybe Jason is out there listening, and he can correct me. I'm sure he would know. Um but, yeah, I mean, look, that that's the game right there in those four pitches. That's the game, especially with the way, and, and again, we'll get to this in a little bit, the way Aaron Nola was throwing yep. the ball yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. The crowd here was just in ecstasy. Um, I, like you, was not at the game yesterday. By the way, as we mentioned, we are both here today. If you're coming to the game, uh, I'm not sure what time they open the gates, probably early today, but come – Behind home plate on the main level, uh, the concourse level, we have our WIP booth. We'd love to say hello to you. Um, but, man, you could hear that on TV. Watching those first two games in Atlanta, and they're telling you, oh, no, that's a really good crowd here. Listen to this stupid racist tomahawk shop. <laughs> you know, these people are into it. Hardly a seat available. What you saw yesterday was a first-class A1 sports town baseball city showing its best. Yeah, you see that in certain cities in this country. We've talked about it before. Um, New York, in certain situations, can get that way. Boston, obviously, can get that way. There are certain sports where it happens more than others. But I think pound for pound, when it comes to the four, quote-unquote, major sports, when a team is going well in Philadelphia, it creates an environment unlike anything in, in professional sports. It, th there's really nothing that compares. 215-592-9494. We'd love to talk to you. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now. So six-run explosion, what was a tense game, what I honestly thought was going to be a two-to-one contest mm -hmm. that was going to come down to the bullpens becomes a laugher, and a laugher is sometimes is a great thing. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think the key or one of the keys for today for the Phillies is to – as, as much as we want to relive it, as much as the fans want to relive it, the Phillies have to flush it. They have to say, okay, that's over and done with, because not to be a downer, but they could lose one nothing today, and all sure. of a sudden they're going back to Atlanta. So uh, it all starts again come 2.07 p.m. What's the cliche? Momentum is the next day's starting pitcher. So, you and know. ours is Syndicard. <laughs> <laughs> For, we will, we shall no, see. Listen, Charlie Morton is, as you said, he's a very experienced vet. He's, he's, he's been around the block. He knows how to pitch. His numbers this year aren't very good. He's no. 110 years old. E excuse me, Glenn. I, I that's, don't know what he's got. That's former Phillies legend Charlie Morton to you. Charlie Morton is the guy who came here, tore both. Is he the guy who tore both his hamstrings on the same play and never played again? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Mike Angelina, you know everything, yeah, right? That's that was him. it. Yeah. That's him. Went to field a bunt or field a soft comeback or something. It was on a fielding play. Yes. Yes. And he tore both hamstrings, and then he, <laughs> we never saw him. And I thought, like, well, that's the end of that career. Yeah. And he goes on to have these, he goes to the American League, and he's great. Yeah, he was great with the Astros. Happened he's been Milwaukee. terrific with the Braves. Um, he's a good pitcher. He's a veteran pitcher. Um, it's going to take a good effort from the Phillies today to beat him. It just will. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, a little bit about Hoskins before we hit the break. You know what? We'll save that. Let's. Uh, we'll grab a phone call or two before we hit the break, if I can find the mouse here and make this work bear with me folks new computer here we go sean in limerick you're on with mike and glenn hey sean hey happy saturday good morning guys i am hey actually hey, sean. Uh, up to blue store to watch my son play some college baseball but uh nice uh, be watching the game uh on my phone but it's funny mike you you were talking about victorinos at, at uh, home run but 
when I look at Scott, it's not exactly the same, but I remember that uh, that at bat by Brad Myers. Uh, the, uh, the Brett Myers at bat, yes. Brett Myers, yeah. Like, it, there's so many similarities. Not exactly the same, but, you know, that at bat was, to me, was just unbelievable. And to get the hit um, was, was a bonus. And then I got to give Nola just a ton of credit. I mean, he really has come through, and uh, he's the longest tenured Philly, right? So it's really great to see him. Uh, get some recognition and, and perform. I'm so excited. It, it, it's a great weekend. And I think the cool thing is, you know, my son's 19, and he very, vaguely remembers those those early, you know, 2008, 2011 teams. He's so pumped. That whole generation of they've never seen Citizens Bank Park filled right October. It's just fantastic. So you know what? hopefully it's we can do it. Thank you. Great stuff. And it's such a great point because you, we were talking a little bit earlier about your sons who are how old? Uh, my sons are 11 and 8. Okay. So they've never seen the nope. Phillies be good at all Well, in, a, in, a, in the postseason. Right. And you told me your 11-year-old is getting into it. So, yeah, he came home. The two of them came home from school yesterday. And the 11-year-old, who hadn't followed baseball during the season but got into the playoffs since they began, uh, comes home, puts on the Yankees-Guardians game. And then watches the Phillies for the first five or six innings. And before you know it, he's grabbing a bat and a tennis ball. And he's out in the backyard in the twilight, tossing the ball up and hitting it in the backyard by himself. And, you know, not to get Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams on you here, Glenn, but I was, I was moved a little bit. I really was. You know, you dad, catch there, dad you? can you come outside and hit with me? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> You know, um, but it was it, 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 it's the kind of thing you're right. It's the kind of thing. And Sean is right. That gets a generation of fans attached to a franchise. Yeah. Right. That when you experience something like this, you want to relive it and experience it again and again and again. And that was what was so great from a fan standpoint about those 07 to 2011 teams. Every night, this was the biggest party in the city. My kids grew up between 94 and 06, essentially. Mm-hmm. They never Nothing. saw the Phillies. No. no. It's, it's funny because they were a- kind of a little bit too young for 93. Mm-hmm. And then by the time the Phillies got back in the playoffs in 07, my kids were in college. It, it, it's so di- they missed the whole thing. It's different kinds of fandom, right? Like, to me, 93 was this seminal summer as an 18-year-old kid. Right. Because fans of that generation had lived through so many years of them just being terrible year after year. Oh my gosh, Steve Lake is the starting catcher. And oh, we cheer for Sil Campusano breaking up a no-hitter at Veterans Stadium. This is what we have to cling to. And then you get a generation that comes later and it's Utley, Rollins, Howard, Hamels, and just every night is wonderful. Yeah, it was great. Um, and now you get a generation that at least to a certain degree gets to experience that yep, again. And they'll never forget these. Li- I remember the lineup of my team when I was 11 years old and it won a championship. Mm-hmm. Your kids, well, we'll see this team wins a championship, but they, if, if they'll always remember these days, as you'll always remember. You know the 93. I'm sure you know the 93 lineup backwards, forwards, inside now. Oh, yeah. I could name the pl- platoon players. I could name the rotation. Right. Um, we're gonna Backup have, catcher was? Oh, shoot. Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, it was Todd Pratt for part of it, I, I think. think it yes. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're going to have Larry Anderson, the setup man, on at noon today. So... Um, yeah, those sorts of moments, those sorts of seasons, they stay with you. And, and look, I'm, I've bemoaned the changes in baseball over the years, um, how the game has changed, slowed down, and is less fan accessible in some ways. Um, but the playoffs have been terrific this year. And to have it back here 
in this fashion, in this manner, with this enthusiasm and excitement is really, it's a fun thing. Nicely said. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. We're at the broadcast booth behind home plate. We will be here right up until 1.30. Looking forward to uh, seeing you and having a great day down at the ballpark. Uh, as we said, Larry Anderson at noon. Todd Zalecki from MLB.com will join us at 11. Stick around. 94 WIP. Struck out the side in 10 pitches, if I am correct on that, Mike. You are correct. That was fairly dominant. Uh, he, uh, he's been unbelievable. Three October starts, 19 and a third innings, has not given up an earned run. Uh, according to Elias, he is the first pitcher to go six innings or more without allowing an earned run in his first two postseason starts since Corey Kluber in 2016. Um, look, there was talk, and I was part of it, and I think it was fair over the years, about Aaron Nola fading down the stretch. Mm -hmm. and September Aaron Nola was not the same as May Aaron Nola, and we worried about that coming in, and he has certainly, certainly ended any fear of that. I think the most underrated moment of the game yesterday – was the top of the fourth inning where the Phillies had just put that sixth spot up and with one out, Travis Darno lines a double to left field. If, if you're the Phillies, and certainly if you're their fans, you don't want the Braves to score in that moment because then they regain some momentum. And you've already had a game in this series in which the Phillies had to walk the tightrope late in the game with the Braves making a big comeback. And Nola, on the next two hitters, he gets a ground ball back to the mound from Michael Harris Jr., weekly little hit ball and he strikes out Marcel Ozuna who quite frankly yesterday looked like Pedro Serrano from Major League trying to hit the curveball I mean he just sacrificed a chicken he just had no chance against Nola all day bad as anybody's ever looked they were talking about it again on the telecast uh John Smoltz making a point of it that he's Ozuna was swinging at Nola's curveball like, before Nola let the ball go out of his hand, uh, he just had no way of picking it up. And, you know, to bring it back to my original point, that to me was a key moment in the game. Like, shut them down right there. Don't let them gain any momentum. Keep it 6 nothing, and everybody just kind of takes a deep breath. And, you know, as you said, Glenn, Nola has just been terrific, um, you know, even beyond terrific in October. Yeah, kill all the ghosts. Yeah. All that talk. Yeah, and, and look, you need more than one guy like that if you're going to make a run like this, and the Phillies have two of them. We had talked about this heading into the postseason, that, that that was a reason to think good things about this team, to be optimistic, was that any team that was going to beat them was going to have to beat Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola in the same series, and that's hard to do. Very hard to do. Uh, Bob in Delran is with us. What's on your mind today, Bob? Hey, gentlemen. Hey, I wanted to talk um – and I had a question for you, Glenn, on a personal note, too, about your dad. It sounds like I'm very happy for him with the Bills. I know he's, you yeah, know, he's yeah, fin yeah. finally win one. But, but, but um, hey, I wanted to ask you, how do you think the pitching is going to work out today? Are they just going to piecemeal something together? Because, you know, um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. I think everybody is because the Braves are, man, that lineup is a real good lineup. And, you know, I just think, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think you're. I think you're right. I think Syndergaard starts. I think you know. Do you go Bailey Falter? Do yeah. you? Uh, yeah. It's going to be a piecemeal game um, because you yeah. don't have anybody, you know, who really can take you deep into a game at, available today. You just don't. Yeah. So uh, you run Syndergaard out there and you hope for the best. 
Yeah, I think that's the only. I choice think okay. Have. So here, here's what I think. And again, it depends on the Braves lineup, lefty righty, and all that, sure. right? Three from Syndergaard, maybe four. That's all I want. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you better keep an eye on him. That's the thing. Oh, because yeah, if you if you yeah. extend him an inning too long, you could be in trouble. Yeah, don't plan to do that. Um, if I again, if the matchups work well and the Braves have some lefties, I'll try to get an inning or two out of Falter. Um, Sir Anthony is certainly rested. Mm-hmm. I can go with him, and he can give you two. He can give me two. Did a great job of that the other day. Eflin can come in and pitch a little bit. Yeah. How many pitches did Alvarado? Alvarado could throw today, right? We think. Probably, yeah. Okay. I mean, he didn't have too stressful an inning, but yeah. Well, you know. all hands on deck. That's yeah. what That's what I need. Yep. Agreed. I guess that, that's the five pitchers I'm looking at. No, no, no. Connor Brogdon. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's, that's it. No. No. Hey, Kyle I wanted Gibson. To, hey, I wanted to ask you, Glenn, if uh, and hopefully this happens, it'll be a conundrum for you and your family. If the Bills and Eagles go in the Super Bowl, which way do you and your dad uh, go? I mean, as my dad as and I go opposite directions. Okay. That, that time. <laughs> that's what I um, Yeah. Listen. Um, you know, my dad. My fun. dad lived in Buffalo sure. for. 50, he moved to Buffalo when he was 25 years old and lived there yeah. into his 80s, and he has waited his entire life to see the Bills win a Super Bowl. Uh, I moved out of Buffalo when I went to college, and I've lived in Philadelphia for 30-plus years. There's my kids yeah. here. And, you know, I'm not going to a Bills parade, but I'm going to an Eagles parade. So my dad and I will have a very civil disagreement <laughs> should it come to that. But, but you know what? I mean, it's all in fun. It's all in fun, and, and if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, my dad will certainly not be crushed. Yeah, but it's a, it's a fair question, and I, and I appreciate it. Hey, take that's care, a, my friend. Thank, thank you, man. That, that's a hard question right there. That really is. When your dad is that big a fan of a team. I know. Um, and to be put in that position. I mean, you know, and it's possible. It's absolutely a thing that could happen. Oh, yeah. You know, right. I mean, you guys got to work that out right now. You got to sit down and have a heart-to-heart <laughs> about, you know, how much time am I allowed to cheer during the Super Bowl for the Bills and how much time am I allowed to cheer for the Eagles? And yeah. You got to work that stuff out because that could destroy a father-son relationship. Yeah. Gosh, we watched the Eagles Super Bowl together five years ago, and he he was so happy. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's moved here. He's become part mm-hmm. of it. He roots for the Eagles. He watches the games. 50 years in Buffalo was all yeah, the roots are deep. Yeah, and he knew a lot of the people involved with the team. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of civically involved there. Right. So he knew. Yeah. The, he knew Marv Levy, and he knew, you know. A- so. And plus, Buffalo is, for lack of a better way of putting it, like Philadelphia light. It's a small town. It's a small town. Oh, yeah. It cares about it, it, the Bills and the Sabres so much. It'd be different if he was like a Padres fan or something yeah, no. like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you the fact what? that it's Buffalo As makes a difference. they say, should it come to that, mm-hmm. we'll work that out. And okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll Not that I want to create dissension between you and your father. He's no, a lovely I, man. I'm, I'm telling you, he is. He's. I, I love my dad. My dad is just is just great um, and still still doing great. But, yeah, we he and I will civilly disagree on that one. <laughs> a little preview of Larry we got, Anderson. We just had Larry there. Anderson come Look to the booth. Look how sharp that guy looks. It, Look that's the him. best I've ever seen him dressed. He looks great. Uh, let's talk to Warren in Gwinnett Valley. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Warren. Hey, Mike and Glenn. Thanks for taking my call. Much appreciated. Yeah. You got it, Warren. I, wa- I was thinking of uh, calling it Mea Culpa Monday, but since today's Saturday, that doesn't apply, at least today. But I couldn't help think about how uh, John Middleton was feeling um, looking at the success of the team since he 
uh, decided to go over the luxury cap, and he and Dave Dombrowski uh, pretty much put all their chips into this season and look at the dividends that, that they're, they're seeing you know, unfold. So I was wondering what you guys are thinking about you know, the feelings of, of this Phillies organization over the last 11 years and the pain that they've suffered through the, uh, the ire of the fans. Yeah, I, I think they've got to be ecstatic, Warren, and I think they've also got to be relieved because if this team had not made the playoffs after, as you said, pushing all its chips in, what's the next move? Do yeah. you just run it back? Do you yeah. decide, okay, you know, Reese Hoskins and Aaron Nola have been here a long time. We've got to make a move. We've got to shake things up. Um, who knows what kind of discussions would have taken place in the upper, region, upper regions of this ballpark and in the offices if this team had not qualified for the postseason. So I think your question is a really good one. Yeah, I mean, the Andy McPhail and, you know, the, the people that he, he thought were, you know, on his side, um, the people that he trusted that, that really, you know, put him in a horrible, horrible position and the contracts that they, they let for, you know, our expensive players that we were – you know, almost reluctant to to keep because they they weren't able to get us to this point. And now, you know, thank God the gamble is paying off. And uh, I hope that they can take it all the way. I hear you, and it's a very good point. Thanks for that. It, thank it'll you. Be interesting to see, and so much of it depends on where they go. If you if you win a World Series, mm-hmm. does everybody come back? Wow, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I think so. I think that's probably based on Dave Dombrowski's history in Major League Baseball. Um, it seems that he tries to wring every drop out of a win-now kind of team. Uh, he, gets a t- he gets a club there, and then you go for it and go for it and go for it. What you, whether you're talking about Boston, whether you're talking about Detroit, uh, that Marlins team that won in 1997 was very much built that way. And then because once – you and decide it, and, yeah. once you decide you tear it down, then it comes it comes down and it comes uh, down not hard. Tear it down. You're clearly you, no. You're not, and you're not going to no do that. To tear it down. You have a decent number of young players or players kind of in their prime. Yeah. But you also have decisions to make. I'm really leading this all toward one particular player. Who I'm wondering if he is back. You talking about Reese Hoskins? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a really good question. If you go out if you go out this offseason, go for Trey Turner. Mm. You move some pieces around. You're suggesting uh, your opening day first baseman next season would be Alec Bohm and Trey Turner is on the left side of the infield? Maybe. Mm. I mean, something. Yeah, I mean, maybe Turner's the second baseman and Segura doesn't come back and stop plays second base. Yeah, I mean, Turner. I, it, it's, I, said, I think I said that wrong. Turner's the shortstop right. and stop plays second base. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, mean, don't, I don't know how you do it, but you're also adding a big contract and if you're bringing – uh, back Hoskins, he's going to be under, you know, you're going to have to extend well, him to give him a big contract. You know, Glenn, I know we're in the business of sports talk radio, but Reese Hoskins just hit the biggest home run in Phillies know, baseball in I 11 know. years, you're and right. you want to send him out no, before the end of next season. That's a fair point. Two on five, five, nine, two, 94, 94. Coming up, we'll get a little Eagles into the conversation. They do play the Cowboys yesterday. Tomorrow. Yesterday, tomorrow. God, I, you know what? Five hours of sleep is not doing it for me. Thank you. <laughs> Keep catching those. Uh, I'm on it, man. I'm on it. A bunch of those. They play the Cowboys tomorrow right across the street from where we are. So we'll work that in and we'll talk to you. 215-592-9494. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP. Get us coffee. Mike, I need it.
Hey, fall is upon us. It's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors because another cold winter season is rolling in. When I need a company to help me with those home projects, I turn to the experts, the great people at Guided Door and Window. Act now. Receive 20% off all windows and doors. Plus, Guided will allow you to start your project today with no money out of pocket and take up to three years to pay it off interest-free once the job is expertly installed. So you'll be able to start enjoying all the benefits of new, highly energy-efficient windows and doors, including an increased comfort level in your home and lower monthly energy bills, all while taking advantage of 20% savings and having the luxury of paying off your project with 0% interest for up to 36 months. But you got to act now. Offers are limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guided today to schedule a free, no-obligation, in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Glenn Mack now, Mike Sielski, 94 WIP, as the sun continues to rise in the sky over Citizens Bank Park. Just looking beautiful today. I'm looking at the temperature. It's going to be high 60s, low 70s. Perfect day in October. Entirely sunny out here as the Phillies take on the Braves uh, with a chance to win and advance. Delighted to be able to say that, let me tell you. Let's get Fran in Roxborough. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Fran. Hey guys, how are you? Good. <clears throat> so, if you can't tell, I lost my voice. I was at I was at that game. Nice. My first, my first ever playoff Phillies game, man. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but let me tell you what. It, it, I would just want to touch on this. Uh huh. You know that you know everyone says it's a team sport. Well, guess what? You got to add the fans into that because being in that atmosphere has to be psychologically debilitating for that other team. It I was, was great. Up- it, it really was. I mean, I, I watched yesterday. I'm here today. But you can hear it on TV, and you can see people standing for nine innings, cheering for nine innings, throwing the Braves off, giving Ozuna a hard time when he's at bat. Listen, I think that stuff matters. I really do. And, and uh, Phillies it fans were does. just huge. It absolutely does. And, you know, to touch on another thing, you know, by the way, we were actually in the section that started Ozuna's DOI champ, by the way. So oh, there you I was proud to be a part of that, but 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 the big but the big thing was I mean it, it's how this team responds, it's how they come back. It's you have when you have boom when you had those three awful plays early on in the season. He said I bleeping hate this place, and he comes back the next day, and it's like a whole new, a whole new kid the rest of the season. And then you have the same thing that kind of happened with Hoskins in game two. You know, everyone was, you know, calling for his head. And next thing you know, it, this guy bounces back with that mind-blowing first-pitch home run in the bat spike. Like, great I've moment. never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's a great and, moment. And that's what I love about this team. You know, they, they're resilient. They feed off the energy. but And they also respond to the criticism in a, in a positive way. So, I I think they'll take it. I think, they're, I think it's going to be hard today. But, um, you know, I'm just hoping for the best. I love your optimism. Good stuff, Fran. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fran. All right. I need to introduce something else because, uh, well, the Eagles won last Sunday in Arizona. They did. It was not their prettiest win of the year, but, you know, there's something to be said when you don't play well and win a game on the road against a team you haven't beaten on the road in two decades. You live with that. Yeah, absolutely. You live with it and then some. Yeah. Uh, There was one moment, though, Mike Sealski, that you probably enjoyed a lot more than I did, and here's how it happened.
I agree with Britton Covey. You know, I, I have to say, Glenn, this is becoming the Tyson Spinks of stupid uh, football bets. It's the worst stupid football bet I ever made, and I've made some stupid ones in the past. For those who don't know, carrying on a tradition started when I was working with Ray Dinger. By the way, Ray Dinger will join the show as a guest tomorrow, first time since he's been off the air. Wow. Uh, but we'll focus on that tomorrow. Um, Mike and I made a stupid football bet that I somehow thought seemed fairly even. In fact, I made the stakes. Without getting into the details, uh, it essentially was I was betting on good punt and kickoff returns by the Eagles. Mike was betting on poor ones. You up six to one now? Yeah, as Napoleon said, when your opponent in a stupid football bet is uh, making mistakes, don't interrupt him. So uh, it yeah. is six to one, yeah. and I am cruising to victory here and feel very confident. I'm going to go full Jerry Jones and just brag the rest of the way. Yeah, you're getting I think. a little smug about it. A little this. bit. There's no question. A little bit. You know. But uh, if you're going to make me get you coffee in the middle of the show, <laughs> then I'm going to be smug about winning the stupid football bet. Uh, for the record, I did not make you get me coffee. You said you're going to get coffee. I said, hey, get me one. You, you said. I guess that counts. You said, get coffee or I'm bringing Ray back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't check that with Ray. <laughs> All right, so, um, again, I don't want to harp on the negative because the Eagles are playing so well. they got to fix that stinking return game because one of these days it is going to cost them. Yeah, it's it's not good. And, look, not to continue to be smug, but I wrote before the Go season you, that they might be better off not putting a punt returner back there. You and it was that. half in jest, half seriously – but the way the season has played out, it's given that position more and more of my position more and more validity with each passing week. Britton Britton Covey's a nice kid. He he's okay some of the times, but he's not okay all the time. And it's a problem. He's never more than okay is the problem. Yeah, exactly. They keep saying, Oh, he's really explosive. Wait till you see him. Boy, in practice, this guy. Oh, he's running. Yeah, I don't know, maybe it's because it's against the Eagles coverage. Yeah. I could don't be. know. But their special teams. Hey, Dicker the kicker, by the way. Congratulations. Special great, teams great player work, of the week. Right? Yeah. We'll keep your phone number on retainer. It looks like Jack Elliott's coming back this week. It does, week. yes. By the way, it looks like Milad is coming back this week. They're very healthy heading into this yes. game. Yes. I very healthy. I love them tomorrow. I, I do, too. Uh, I, you know, the Cowboys have been managing Cooper Rush over these last four weeks. I think the Eagles' defense— will put Rush in a position where he's going to have to make plays for them to beat the Eagles, and you have to like the Eagles' chances if that's the case. Um, the defense has been, ever since that, that opening week against Detroit where we all had those concerns about Jonathan Gannon and playing soft and does he know what he's doing, the defense has been really good ever since. And, uh, you know, they're going to be fine tomorrow, I think, with respect to stopping the Cowboys' offense. I, I like them a lot tomorrow night, too. I do, too. So the Cowboys have been winning with Cooper Rush. He's 4-0, but they're averaging, I think, 23, 24 points a game. It's because their defense is playing really well. I take nothing away from their defense, which is outstanding. The Eagles, that's the challenge tomorrow, yes. is the Eagles are going to have to figure out how to beat that defense, how to beat Micah Parsons, that pass rush, etc. And I think you just kind of alluded to this. You make the Cowboys play from behind tomorrow – so that Cooper Rush has to take a chance, that they can't just rely on short passes and runs. I want to see that because I don't know that he can do that. Yeah, the, the only thing that would make me change my thinking on this is that I believe the Cowboys listed Dak Prescott as questionable. Yeah, I question that. I would question it too. Could be just gamesmanship. Probably is just gamesmanship. Yeah. Um, and, but and He's barely practiced. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, you know, Jerry Jones loves the drama. He loves the buildup. He loves the stuff that yeah, goes on yeah. with the game. Yeah, he does. Just throwing it out there. Food hey, for I, I, so let me ask. I, I, look, I would be. Would so, you be more worried playing as Dak Prescott tomorrow, who hasn't played for a month, has barely practiced, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how his thumb is, but he's going to be able to throw the ball 40 yards with a spin? I would be more worried about Dak Prescott than I would Cooper Rush. Okay. Yeah, okay. I would. I would. I, I like that. I, I mean, I, I guess it sounds silly to say I wouldn't be, but I'm not, I, I feel very good about that game tomorrow. No, I do too. All right. I think it's a good matchup for the Eagles. Uh, Daniel, Newtown Square. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, great show, guys. And you did a really good job of explaining the energy in that stadium yesterday. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the intelligence of the crowd and how, what a factor that comes into play there. Uh, I was right behind the third base. A dugout there and somebody back behind me kept starting these chants like their their designated hitter from atlanta he just got a dui like three two three weeks ago right <laughs> the whole crowd's going dui oh yeah yeah that's the time he came up i never heard a, a crowd chanting the opposing chipper uh, pitcher's name before strider strider so yeah. that was trendy that's great they know the difference between a a, a a pitch that was designed to miss and just a bad pitch. And when when he threw those four high pitches to Marsh, the crowd just got extra into it. And and you could you could feel the energy. They were like getting on him, and I think the crowd got to him. That then he made the bad throw to first, and then the crowd was just off. And then you know it was all it was all history from there. It was just beautiful to watch. I think it was the crowd that really made a huge difference in getting to that pitcher's head yesterday. Yeah, it was interesting, uh, and thanks for the call. Uh, by the way, we just got tremendous waiter service. How we about did. that? You know. Hand-delivered coffee. It, it, Larry Anderson delivering as he did throughout the 1993 se- season and has, as he man. always has done throughout his career as a broadcaster for the Phillies. Setup man set us up. He did. He absolutely did. Um, so Snicker, who's the Braves manager, yeah. said uh, he was asked, I guess, after game two, when they're coming to Philadelphia, what do you think of the Philadelphia crowd? Is it? And he said, like, yeah, they're not intimidating. Which is what he has to say. Yes. But but to this town, that's throwing down the gauntlet just yeah, a bit. sure. Just a bit. Yeah. You know. And, and it's interesting, you know, um, Daniel talking about the crowd, you know, the, the most infamous example of that in Philly's playoff history, of course, is – Game three of the 1977 League Championship Series, where they, the Veterans Stadium crowd got all over Bert Hooten to the point where he struggled to throw strikes and you know had to be taken out of the game, and it and it looked great for the Phillies at that point. And of course, yeah. anybody who's a Phillies fan of a certain age remembers what happens and what happened in the ninth inning of that game. Black but, Friday, yeah, it's got yeah, a name. It does. Um, but I, I do think you watch these other games in Major League Baseball throughout these playoffs. This crowd is different. It just is. Um, it's the 11 years. It's the it's first home playoff game. It is first home game for this team in a month. Uh, it is that thirst for something to cheer about that these fans have not had for so long. And it's just different. I feel like there was another example of a pitcher who Phillies fans got to during the great run from oh. Eight to oh seven to eleven. I feel like there was uh, uh, perhaps CC Sabathia was it Sabathia? with the Brewers in in oh eight when he walked Brett Myers and then allowed the grand slam to Victorino. Um, that's a pretty good example of it, I think. Uh, you know, you remember that Myers at bat and just how 
the sound in the ballpark grew and grew and grew with every pitch that Myers fouled off, and it just reached that crescendo where, like, you couldn't believe that people were getting that excited about a walk. Mike Angelina, our producer here, who's got a tremendous memory, uh, says it may also have uh, been Chad Billingsley in the uh, in Game 2 of the 08 NLCS. That's another which, one. Which it may have been. Yeah, we can do that. I don't think it's going to happen with Charlie Morton today. No. He's smart enough to either put in earplugs, well, metaphorically or literally. Mm-hmm. But it could happen with some of those young Braves players, absolutely. Okay, 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow. We are at Citizen Bank Park right behind home plate. We're going to be here until, uh, well, this show runs till 1. Then we've got leading off till 1.30. Greg Murphy on from 1.30 to 2. And then, of course, Phillies against the Atlanta Braves. Game 4, potential clinching game right here at Citizen Bank Park. Stay tuned. 94 WIP, and it is time for me to tell you, fall is in full swing. Leaves are changing. Everybody's breaking out the comfy sweaters. Gone are the days of blasting your car's AC. Now, the weather may be getting colder, but the sales at United Tire, they remain hot. Now through the end of the month, United Tire is offering up $70 in savings when you purchase select tires from your favorite brands, including BF Goodrich and Michelin. Stop by your local United Tire today for more details. Say so long to summer. Say hello to fall with the help of the great people at United Tire. Don't drive alone. Drive United. <laughs> well, you know, the winds changed. Got later in the day, but there you go. Let us not get greedy as the Phillies win yesterday 9-1. to Game 3 advanced today to a game where they can put away the Braves in advance to the NLCS. Joining us now, one of uh, our favorites from MLB.com, covers the Phillies, Mike. Mike. Todd Zalecki. Todd, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing great. Doing yeah. great. Good to see you, Z. Uh, so where do we start? So where would you start? What do you want? What's, what's the biggest story out of yesterday? I, I think it was Reese Hoskins, for sure. Um, the error in game two, you hear a smattering of boos during pregame introductions. They get a little bit louder after a strikeout in the first at-bat. And then that massive home run and the bat spike. I, I've been trying to think of, like, ho, po, Philly's postseason home runs that I have seen in person, the most impressive, and that to me is top three. Uh, the Matt Stairs home run in, uh, at Dodgers into Stadium yeah. into the night. Uh, Shane Victorino's grand slam against CC Sabathia. The yeah. place went bonkers. That, and then this one. Wow. This one, yeah. Over I mean, every – I'm trying to think. There had to be a Ryan Howard. Well, there was some – like, Ryan Howard, He yeah, he hit a bunch – you know, in 08 and 09, but in terms of like the emotion yeah. and the impact of it, crazy, yeah, the impact of it, the frustration he was letting out. And uh, I know that all the players in the clubhouse were so happy for him because, you know, he was kind of getting a lot of crap for a few days. <laughs> so, 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 you know, this team as well as anybody, you've been around since Hoskins debuted in 2017. How does he handle this stuff? You know, I mean, how does he deal with it? I, I, I think he deals with it about as as well as anybody I've seen now. Does it bother him? Of, of course it does. You know, talk to JT Real Muto said last night, and he said, you know, as much as we like to try to not pay attention to it and not listen to it, you can't help but hear that you're getting booed before your first home postseason game ever. I mean, you're the only guy doing it. Uh, and so I think it, it frustrates him. Um, it, it probably bothers him a little bit more than he lets on because uh, I think offensively he's been very productive. I think he gets a lot of – the defensive criticisms I think are warranted, obviously, but the offensive criticisms I just – 
personally don't get. Um, but I, I think he handles it pretty well. Well, it's because he's so streaky, right? He's, so yeah. I mean, he was – what was he before last night? Uh, two for – He was one for 18, One for I think. 18, yeah. 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 Okay, and, so. and Schwarber was uh, oh, over 17. Over right. 17, and yeah. if you do that in July, people don't really notice. You know, oh, he hadn't had any hits in the last four games. But if you do that in the playoffs, you become a guy who can't hit in the playoffs. And that, so right. that's why I think that narrative was taking place. The, the last thing I'll ask about him, and, and it – just makes me a little nervous. Has he got the defensive yips? I was when he dropped that ball, and I, we've we've all seen him miss the the play to his right. Like he he grades out. Um, he he struggles going to his right. We've seen that many times before, but I've never seen him just flat out drop a ball straight into his chest. That was the first time I've ever seen it. So you wonder. I, I thought I saw some tentative throws early yesterday from Bohm as well. And then once they got the lead, I saw him starting yeah, zipping it a little bit more. Clutch, yeah, yeah. I start, he put a little bit more zip on it as the game went on with as the lead built. And so, yeah, possibly. Um, but I, but for that reason, I think it helped that uh, you know he had he had a nice game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Left, left the ballpark with feeling good about himself. Why is Aaron Nola different in Octo- in this October compared to other seasons at the end of those seasons? What's yeah, the difference now? You know, I will make this argument. I don't think he's that much different. I think the, the results are different. I think uh, you look at some of his his past couple Septembers, he, the ERA was up there, and he didn't win a lot of games. But you look at, like, hits allowed, strikeouts, walks, stuff like that, he was still pretty effective. I think he got bit. Personally, I believe he got bit a lot by wretched defense. Um, now, he did give up some two-strike hits the last couple of years, but I, I do think the defense really hurt him a lot the past few seasons. And I think what people are seeing now, and you've, I've heard a lot of players say this, well, finally people are get to seeing he's a big – people are saying, well, finally you know, he's establishing himself as a big-game pitcher, but this is also his first opportunity to actually show he can do it. Right, and yesterday he pitched through that poor defense. He did. He did. That was huge. That was huge. The, the miscues early on so in that sense yeah you wonder if if uh, you know he may maybe like in 2018 2019 if he would have been able to do that but he is so calm and cool and I know sometimes people like he doesn't show enough emotion that's what makes him good is that he's he is like one of the lo- most laid-back people I've ever met Bryce Hoper uh, Bryce Harper's home run yesterday off the left-hander uh, just was also to me, almost cathartic for him. Uh, and he is – I was looking for his numbers here in the postseason. He's hit just about 500 uh, <laughs> with a great OPS. I mean, he's he's really doing what you pay him to do. But that, the hit off the lefty, which he has not done. I don't know if you had the chance to talk to him after the game. I, 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 it was my favorite moment of the game, even as they were blowing it open. I, I'm just curious what the sense was in the, in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. So the Harper home run, uh, that, you know, that really took everybody in the clubhouse over the top. They talked about, of course, Hoskins and the frustration, and they were so happy for him. But they said, you know, when Harper hit that home run, you know, they, they brought in Dylan Lee to get Bryce Harper out, and then the first pitch, it goes out. And, uh, you know, all those guys in that clubhouse, they said that was the moment that really kind of put them over the top. That was a cool moment. So let's spin it forward to today. Uh, we have already gotten a call or two kind of asking how the Phillies will negotiate pitching through this game. Yeah. How do you think they're going to handle this? So Rob Thompson said that they're going to – they will, would love to get three three-plus innings from Syndergaard. And then he said, which I thought was interesting, 
it's all hands on deck. And when I say it's all hands on deck, I think if Syndergaard will get knocked out early and they have a lead late, don't be surprised to see Zach Wheeler warming up in the bullpen and coming really? into this game. Really? Wow. Late. He said that Today? He, yes. He said that he is available to pitch today. So I think the only scenario that happens is, A, they have to have a lead. He's not going to come in in the eighth inning when they're yeah, down one nothing. Sure. That would be insane because Zach Wheeler could start on short rest in game five if they need it. Rob Thompson also said that. So I, I'm thinking, like, Syndergaard goes two, you know, for some reason, and they go through Sir Anthony, Alvarado, Zach Eflin, Andrew Bellotti, and now they're like, okay, how do we – we need to get three more outs somewhere. Yeah. Who do we get them That's from? That's where you miss David Robertson. Yeah, because – 100%. But I think the Phillies are almost looking this at this as a game five because you don't want to go down to Atlanta and either, A, pitch Wheeler on short rest or – pitch Ranger Suarez who struggled in game two so for that I, I like this aggressiveness I think it's kind of a cool thing that they're that they're at least kicking around yeah I agree I, and again what what choice do you have right you, right this bullpen is not top to bottom a whole lot of guys right Sir Anthony you can rely on uh, Alvarado's been great he'll pitch again today right 15 yeah, pitches yes, yesterday yes okay. he's on board um would would our falter and Gibson just total like break glass in case of emergency you're down five runs you need to eat innings kind of a thing yeah i think probably more gibson than falter because falter was pitching a little bit better and he's left-handed but yeah i, I agree I, th I think those two guys are extra innings if things go crazy because now we know in the extra innings in, in the postseason there's no automatic runners so there's the potential for that 15 16 right. inning game and that's where i think you would want to use those guys so we talk a lot about rob thompson and how great the team has been since he's been here and why is that well he's a steadying influence and it's, he's kind of changed the mood in the clubhouse but the numbers are so stark from what they were and what they are what this phillies team was back in may and what this phillies team is now give but give me a little more detail on how and why rob thompson has succeeded I think it is because of his calm demeanor. And I think – now, Nick Castellanos said something the other day in Atlanta after he got – Rob got uh, promoted and got the two-year contract extension. He said, I said, well, what, tell me – give me an example of what you like about him. Like I hear like, oh, he's great. He's, he's so relaxed. He said he came in the first day and he said things that he followed through on and he's been a calming presence. And I think what he means by that is – and this kind of relates to – yesterday in the talk before game three is Kyle Schwarber you're my leadoff hitter Reese Hoskins you're going to hit second I'm going to stick with you guys I'm going to show patience I'm going to be calm whereas Joe Girardi if you remember early in the season Kyle Schwarber was the leadoff hitter for yeah. six games right. and now he's hitting fifth and yeah. then he's up to fourth and then he's down to sixth and then he's back up in the leadoff spot and Bryce Harper's moving up and down and Reese Hoskins is moving up and down and people can say all they want players notice that stuff and they can feel the fear or the desperation or the panic in a manager and and rob was like i'm not you guys can ask me all i want about bumping down schwarber and bumping down hoskins they're not moving they're not moving okay but fans look at that and some broadcasters look at that and say well he shouldn't have to bat first every game then maybe there are circumstances where moving him down is effective i don't know he's got about for, bat up first every game well, no, and that's a great point. You can make a very, very strong argument that going into game three that like, you should have shuffled the lineup. Here, yeah. Put Gene Segura in the leadoff spot. Maybe put Kyle Schwarber fourth or fifth. Like, I totally get that. That makes so much sense. But I think in that clubhouse, 
if you've had those guys hit first and second almost every day since Thompson took over on June 3rd, and then you have one bad game in game two in Atlanta, and then all of a sudden they show up and it's like, oh, my God, Rob <laughs> just totally shuffled the lineup for the first time in five yeah. months. He's freaking out, and now maybe they get a little bit tighter. I, I think what you're talking about, Todd, is like an alignment between the personality of a manager and the makeup of the roster, right? Like Larry Boa was a, is a great baseball man. You need the right kind of clubhouse for him to manage. Charlie Manuel was perfect for those teams from 07 to 2011, and it sounds like what you're saying is that Thompson's demeanor was the right fit for this group. Absolutely. Not only with the veterans, but with the younger guys as well. You know, I've heard a lot from like Bryson Stott and Nick Maton and Matt Beering, like, you know, we love Rob because he's, you know, he's, he communicates with us, you know, we're relaxed. I think some of these younger guys kind of walked on eggshells around Joe. Joe's a very nice person, but he's so hyper intense. He's wound up so tight. Uh, I don't think he went through the clubhouse a lot and could, like, make a lot of small talk, whereas Rob Thompson, he's not the most engaging post-game interview. You guys have heard it, right? <laughs> he's not a great quote, but he is a great person yeah. behind the scenes, yeah. and the players, I think, really appreciate Listen, that. Listen, that was one of Charlie's strengths all those years he was here, was yeah. communicating with that. Charlie had a roster of stars. This is not a roster of stars, but Charlie was able to really kind of keep that clubhouse and even keel for a lot of things. That was his strength as a manager. Last one for me, Charlie Morton is the pitcher for the Braves today, a veteran presence who we saw here briefly in 2014. I forget what year it was until he ripped his hamstrings. Whatever. Uh, what do you what do you see from him this year? What do you expect from him today? Well, I, I like this matchup for the Phillies. I think they've, they've, they've scored a bunch of runs on him this season. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. It was like 16 earned runs in like 20-some innings. So they've hit him really well. So I think the offense is probably coming to this game going, you know, we've hit this guy before. We can do it again. And we're going to have the crowd going nuts. So I, I do like this I do like this matchup for the Phillies. It just depends, you know, how's Syndergaard going to do and how, yeah. how's the rest of the bullpen going to line up? So that segues to my last question, which is let's set up a scenario. Phillies carry a one-run lead into the top of the ninth inning. Who's on the mound for them? <laughs> that is great. Now, Rob has stuck with Zach Eflin the past few, you know, past couple weeks, but he has scuffled a little bit in the postseason. You know, he's given up some big – he's not a big strikeout guy. Um, maybe it's Zach Wheeler. Maybe it's Zach Wheeler, especially if they have to go to those guys early. I would personally go with Sir Anthony Dominguez in Amen. the ninth inning. Yeah, yep. me too. I think he is back. He said he is back. Um, his stuff is nasty. He can get a lot of swing and miss. And I think he's a guy, he's a very uncomfortable at bat. Not that Zach Eflin can't get the job done, but I would want to go with the guy where the, where the opposing hitters, before they come into the, to the plate in the ninth inning, they're going, oh, crap. Mm. <laughs> How are we going to get a hit off this guy? Yeah, because that's certainly what the Cardinals were saying in game two of that series. Yes. You know, six up, six down, he looked incredible. Absolutely. You know, he's striking out Goldschmidt and Arenado, um, you know, like, as he did in, was it in game one? That was game two. Yeah. Was uh, it? I forget. Now. He pitched in both, I think. Yeah. Well, whatever. Well, yeah, the two scoreless yeah, innings. Two scoreless in, innings in game yeah. two. Then in the game one, he, he struck out both of those guys. Um, 
I believe. Now, now I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, it's, n- nevertheless, it's, it's they, all, all, they all dude, blend together. You, you, have, together. you have been on the road for so long and in the tunnel for so long. It's no am, wonder it's all blending I'm together. I'm proud to say I packed enough not to do any laundry on the road, which Aaron Nola. 17 for, days? Uh, I did not go to Chicago, so it was two okay. weeks worth. But Wow. Yeah, I, uh, Nola what? Nola and Brandon Marsh also said they packed enough not to do laundry. So, well, with you know. Brandon Marsh, I think he just wears the same clothes every day. <laughs> I mean, he's got that look. He yeah. doesn't pack shampoo, I don't yeah. think. No. <laughs> Todd Zalecki, it's always a pleasure. Follow him on uh, MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Todd Zolecki, Z-O-L-E-C-K-I. Todd, best to you and your family. Thank you. Hey, we look forward to seeing you during an extended playoff run, my friend. fun. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks. Let's sneak in a call here before the break. Rick and Easton is with us. Rick, how are you? You Glenn, if I told you in August that the Padres and the Phillies are one game away from the uh, championship series, you'd say I was crazy. I would not bet on those ones i'll agree Mike, my great memory you know between myers's walk that game for rick victorino had a huge home run burt hooten black friday the 2008 snow game that took us three days to win that world series you know it's amazing guys what's with the weather in philadelphia the fog affected the birds against the bears the, the fog comes inside the flyers against buffalo you remember that glenn oh i was at that game uh, yeah, and, and the snow the snow came against the Lions. Uh, it's just crazy. So real quick, I, 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 I agree with the all-hands-on-deck approach, except for Nola's not available, because as I thought, the first game of the season, the first game of the playoffs, uh, when they were up 7-1, to one, I, would, I wanted them to go for the juggler. So I couldn't agree with your, your uh, assessment of the, uh, of the, line, of the uh, pitching lineup, Syndergaard, Falter, Gibson, Alvarado, Sir Anthony. And just pull them if they can. But I have a quick question. Can you make a change of pitchers from the dugout? Just say we're changing pitchers without that being a visit to the mound. What's the official rule on that? I'm pretty sure that counts as a visit to the mound if you change Okay, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. And then let's go Birds real quick if I could. Sure. Uh, Aside from the fact that the Phillies are probably the first team in 17 days on the road that won three to four playoff games. The Eagles, I think, have one more move they can make, and I wanted to get your opinion. Have you guys heard of Brian Burns, the defensive end from the Carolina Panthers? Yes. Would you be in support of using that New Orleans draft pick, because Carolina is going to be in fire sale mode shortly, that Brian Burns could really put the Eagles over the top and uh, into future years, because he's only 24 years on a rookie contract. What are your thoughts? First-round pick, no. Yeah, I'm not sure i do it either yet, because defensive end and pass rush at this point isn't an area that you're looking to shore up. It's been pretty good. So do you want to give up that pick? And, yes, I know Burns is on his rookie contract, um, but the, the corollary would be the Jay Ajayi deal in 2017, and that was an area, that was a position that the Eagles really needed to improve that season, and Ajayi did that for yeah, them. Yeah, and you gave up. And you gave up, what, a third or – yeah, whatever it was. Low-round um, pick, as I yeah, recall. So I, I'm not sure yet that I would do that for Burns. All right, guys, keep up the good work, and uh, what a great weekend for you – know, we, we went cardinal hunting last weekend, and we're going cowboy and Indian hunting this weekend. There you go. Thank you, Rick. Always good to hear from you. Um, yeah, the NFL trade deadline is always one of those things that typically approaches with no drama and nothing happens. But the Eagles have created some drama in the last few years. You yeah. get Ajayi in 17. You get Golden Tate in 2018. <laughs> you know, forgot, forgot that great move. Well, hey, Golden Tate caught a game-winning touchdown pass in a playoff game for the Eagles. Yeah, I guess 
Yes, he did. The double doink game on fourth down and goal from Nick Foles. Good memory, man. So, I must you know, remember the double doink. That, if that doesn't get him on the team's wall of fame, I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what would. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's you get a pretty good player for a third or fourth round pick. Right. I'm not looking to trade a first round pick for anybody. No, and, no. And, and again, as I said, I think defensive end and pass rush are not areas of weakness right now. So what would you try to address? Safety? I would think about safety. Punt returner? You again, you don't need to address punt returner. You just don't put anybody back there. Um, yeah. No. I, I mean, they're healthy w- back on the offensive line, so yeah. don't have to worry about They that. have so much depth on the offensive yeah. line. You, you're, you're in pretty good shape there. I think safety would be an area I'd think about. Um, but it's hard to say right But who knows? I mean, before the, the deadline hits, you know, you don't want this to happen, obviously. But what if there's an injury? Something comes yeah. up. You yeah. know, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't make a move just yet if I were them. Uh, no, those deals are going to happen right beforehand. Right. Okay. Jo- uh, you know what, Joe? Hang in. We'll get you after the break. want to give you full time to uh, give your strong and wise opinion. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Macknow. We're at Citizens Bank Park. Looking out, Mike, describe what you see. Well, right now you see, you see a guy going by with a hot dog. Yeah. Or something, but other than that, describe what you well, see. You know what, Glenn? It's, it's actually – I'm not making this up. It's really beautiful. The sun is – just has the field lit up as if yeah. the lights were on and the, it's dark on the concourse so there's darkness and then there's it's like the ball field is under a spotlight it's pretty beautiful. pretty cool beautiful not a not a cloud in the sky uh mike and glenn taking your calls on 94 wip All right, this is where we talk about what we have been watching. Let me just give you the numbers one time. I got Joe in the Northeast, then we got open lines, so if you call now. I know we've had uh, kind of long hold time today with guests in our own conversation, but this is a good time to get in. 215-592-9494. All right, Mike Sielski, I've been uh, busy, which I'll explain why in a moment, but you had the chance. You've become Mr. Sports Documentary. I have. I love documentaries of all kinds, and particularly sports ones. Big fan of the ESPN 30 for 30 series. There have been so many of them that have been so great. Uh, And I just caught one this week, and it's appropriate for our setting and what we've been talking about all morning. It's called An Uncivil War. And it is, again, on ESPN, a 30 for 30. And it's a documentary about the Yankees-Dodgers rivalry, not when... They were in New York and Brooklyn, yeah. but in the late 1970s, the two years that they faced each other in the World Series, 1977-1978. Okay. Um, really well done. It's a Reggie Chambliss. You're, you're talking about Chris Chambliss. You're talking yeah. about a lot of Reggie Jackson. Sparky Lyle. Sparky Lyle, Rich Gidry. Gossage, Gidry, Greg Nettles, yeah. Steve Garvey, Tommy Lasorda, yeah, Ron yeah, Say, yeah, all yeah, those teams. A yeah, um, sure. couple quick clips of Phillies Lopes. games there um, because the Phillies lost to the Dodgers and the League Championship Series in both of those years. Um, Lots of Reggie Jackson input, which makes it pretty interesting. Not that it's difficult to get Reggie Jackson to talk about himself, but he really does open up here, talks a lot about his relationship and hatred of Billy Martin, uh, because those two went toe-to-toe. And it's, it's kind of formulaic in that it gets into the nature of the cities at that time. You know, New York was in a bad way yeah. in the late 1970s. L.A. wasn't a whole was lot that, better. Was uh, that Ford to New York drop dead? Did they show That's that newspaper? The one. It's, it's Ford to New York drop dead. It is the Bronx is burning. It is Son of Sam. Oh, and, geez. and it's the Bronx Zoo with the Yankees. Um, and then in L.A., you've got smog. You've got the rise of the porn industry uh, and the Dodgers' excellence against this backdrop. So... 
Um, very well done, although I will say this. Reggie Jackson grew up in Wincote slash Glenside, yeah. which quite literally is within walking distance of the city limits yeah. of Philadelphia. He is referred to in this documentary as having grown up in a small town in Pennsylvania, which to me was a little a strange. Small to town hear. in Pennsylvania? Yeah, it made it sound like he what? was from, uh, you know, Wampum, PA, like Dick Allen or yeah. something like that. Um, but the documentary is solid, very good. If you're a baseball aficionado, you'll like it. If you're somebody who remembers that time, you'll love it. I give it three stars out of four. A solid entry in the 30 for 30 series. Now, I think it was last week or the week before you recommended, was it Facing Nolan? Was that the name yes, of Yes, Facing Nolan that's on um, Netflix. Okay. So, one better than the other if I'm watching my baseball documentaries? I like the, I like the Nolan Ryan one better. Okay. I did. But it, this it, is a good, solid watch. Yeah, it is. It's a solid, entertaining watch. It takes you back. It gets into Steve Garvey, which is kind of cool, like the idea of him having been the golden boy of baseball mm-hmm. at that time and how much his teammates resented him for it, how it turned out that he was a bit of a hypocrite in the yep. way he carried himself and the person he actually was. You know, good, juicy stuff in that regard. Good stuff. All right. Uh, by the way, this uh, segment is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down, up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guide or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Uh, I haven't had the chance to watch anything. I have told people, and we'll, uh, you and I will each do a shameless self-promotion now, okay? I, I, I have no shame. I'm happy okay. to promote. I'm going first. Go. I have been in rehearsals Pretty much every night for the last several weeks, really building up over the last couple months, I am going to be in the uh, stage play Clue at the Swarthmore Players Club. It opens this Thursday night. I'm a little nervous. You're going to do great. But confident. It's a great cast around me, great director, great production crew and everything. Uh, and I think, and I can tell you, it is really funny. It's going to be playing October 21st through November 5th. Like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a couple Thursday nights in there. I'm not doing the Thursday night during the Eagles game, so, well, you can go then, but I won't be in it then. Uh, <laughs> for tickets, go to pcstheater.org, PCS, Player Club of Swarthmore, pcstheater.org. You can see me make a complete ass of myself as Colonel Mustard. Now, you got a couple things coming up as well. So I have an event coming up uh, early next month on Sunday, November 6th uh, at the Kaiserman Jewish Community Center, uh, oh, Haverford right Amp. Yeah, literally right, down the block from me. Right on the main line there. Uh, they're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the center, and they're doing it with a panel discussion slash event centered around uh, a basketball player you all may have heard of who used to play pickup games at the center, a guy named Kobe Bryant. I saw him play basketball there as a junior high school kid. Some incredible stories and, about and him just playing there. Like, dominate men, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I read about that in your tremendous book, The Rise – Kobe Ryan and the Pursuit of Immortality. There Thank you, you very much. So, so, yeah, so we're going to be doing a discussion about Kobe. It's going to be me, and it's going to be Andy Bernstein, who actually is a Basketball Hall of Fame photographer and the co-author with Kobe of the Mamba Mentality. So this is Sunday, November 6th, no Eagles game that day, 7 p.m. at the Kaiserman Jewish Community Center, 45 Haverford Road, uh, right go, at Haverford and City Line. Exactly. Um, go to their website for, for tickets if you're interested. Uh, the center has been a tremendous part of that community for a long, long time. This is going to be a great event. If you can make it, we would love to see you there. So my play clue ends on November 5th. Mm-hmm. So Double up. Uh, there you go. Double up. Good stuff. And I'm looking forward to seeing Clue very much. I'm going to be taking my kids. Uh, my kids to yeah, it. Clue is one it. of their favorite movies. I've told you this before. Yeah, they right. love it. Terrific. Uh, okay, let's go to Joe in the Northeast. Joe, you're on with Mike and Glenn. 
Hey, Glenn, Mike, how are you? Good, Doing Joe. great, Joe. Um, we, we, we all would agree that, uh, right, that we don't want uh, this to be a game five uh, going back to Atlanta with either uh, Ranger uh, starting or yeah. Wheeler going on three days rest against uh, Freeze. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. you know, t- before I heard that Syndergaard got the, the start, uh, I, I, the Phillies should put all their eggs in, in, in one basket today. And I, I wanted to see, because both of these guys haven't pitched since Tuesday, I wanted to see Eflin be the opener and then followed by Ranger. But since they got Syndergaard going, uh, as long as we're not three, four runs behind during his stint, if we're even or might be ahead, I would pitch uh, Suarez, followed by Eflin, and with the hope of then going with, if we need to, Alvarado and Dominguez to close. Uh, you know, uh, because... Uh, wait, wait. Facing, you're, you're, I'm, go I'm, ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm confused. You're talking about today you would pitch Suarez today? Yeah, today, today after, after, after Syndergaard goes, uh, goes out, as long as we're not behind three or four runs... Yeah, but then what what happens if you need a – what if you don't win today? Then who do you start the next game? Well, uh, well, you got got Wheeler going on three days rest. And because you – Never pitched a game in his life on three days rest. Well, you're you're talking about bringing him in today. For an inning or two. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about bringing him in today. Yeah, to close. Pitch an inning or whatever. Well, and then you still got – you still got the the if you, a game five. Everybody's going to be available. You know, here's, I mean, they, here's what I would say. To, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead finish I think finish they your need thought. To take care of business today, and and, and I, I and I think and and having it that way with Suarez, like you're going to probably see Rosario starting in, in left left field today against the right right hander uh, Okay, now you're going if you bring in Suarez. Now what are they going to do when we when, I, I, when you get get the um, Joe Joe? I think. Thanks, With all sir. due respect, Joe, I think you're overthinking this. I think the Phillies are in a situation, not to get graphic about this, but you don't want to fire bullets you don't have to fire. And if you can start Syndergaard and get him to through two or three innings, you go from there. This is a situation where you've got to take each game as it unfolds and go from there. You can't go in beyond Syndergaard saying, well, I'm going to use this guy at some point. You've got to see how the game plays out. And you've got to have somebody in reserve for a game five. You yeah. just do. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Tom in Jersey, you're with us. Hey, Tom. Yeah, how you guys doing? All right. Hey, Tom. Oh, well, this is just magnificent weekend. Hey, uh, I only have two little points. One is I don't want to see Eflin as closer today or tomorrow or whenever. I mean, he's just, he's no closer for one thing. I agree. I agree. Yeah, okay. And the other thing is I, I watched that uh, seven and a half minutes from uh, to- uh, Stott's double to uh, Harper's home run. That took seven and a half minutes. We got six runs. Yeah. That must be amongst the best seven and a half minutes of Phillies baseball ever. Yeah. And I yep. just wanted to hear what you guys think about that. It was just, I watched it four times. It was amazing. Yeah. Like seven it, and a half minutes. Yeah, Beautiful. I mean – you squeezed – they squeezed everything good that you could possibly squeeze into seven and a half minutes yeah. in that stretch. And and as we mentioned yeah. earlier in the show, I, I don't think you can overstate how important that start at bat was in oh, yeah. terms of yeah. the four two-strike foul balls. Uh, each pitch in a playoff game takes more out of a pitcher, even someone yeah. as good as, yeah. as Spencer Strider. 
Um, yep. and, and that makes such a difference. And the fact that Stott stretched that at bat as long as he did, yep. the fact that he ended it with the double, uh, you know, the, the metaphor I yep. thought of, the, the scene yep. I thought of was, you know, Rocky Four, where Rocky finally hits Drago and cuts him and comes back <laughs> to the corner, and, the, and there's, you know, Duke saying, you see, you cut him, you hurt him, he's not a machine, he's a man, and it yep. changed everything. Yep. Um, so, I like you working a Rocky yep. metaphor in there. You got to do it. You, you can't, you, but you can't just yep. fall back on the, on the old ones, Glenn. You got you to no, go yeah. deep in the well here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Hey, one last thought, one last thought. I think I would love to see Schwarber have a Matt Sayers moment, either this series or the next series. He's remember due. Oh, oh we, do God. we remember that? Yeah, we, we remember that. that, that Deep into the night. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Yep. Today, deep into the day. Yeah, Not yeah. They, it ain't night right now. It's no. it's bright and beautiful. Yeah, this game's going to be a crisp two and a half hours. We'll all be out by four. Five o'clock. I like the way you think. I'm not sure that's <laughs> going to happen, but I like the way you think. And and listen, I always bemoan the length of baseball games, not the playoffs. No. Every pitch. During the regular season, it's like, throw the damn pitch. In the postseason, the buildup is just fine. The, uh, the best line I've heard describing this uh, was by my colleague, David Murphy, who wrote a column off of one of the Phillies Cardinals games last week. He said, playoff baseball is like watching a family member try to defuse a bomb. And he's 100% right. It's just you don't, you don't enjoy it, you endure it, you know. And, and it's great, but oh, my gosh. Until so you get up by six runs. Yeah, exactly. Then and then everybody breeze. takes a deep breath. Yeah, right. There you go. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski and I. We're at Citizens Bank Park. We're looking at the field. It's beautiful. Ooh, players on the field, Mike. I wow. I want to take a look. Okay. We'll give you a live report on that coming up. I'll go run and get you more coffee. No, I'm good with coffee. A 94 WIP. We are back. It is Phillies against the Braves. Two, uh, 2.07, I believe, is the first pitch. We're going to be on until 1.30. Give you a little leading off, uh, heading into uh, Greg Murphy. Uh, I want to spend just a little bit of time on uh, the Eagles here because uh, they do play game. It's amazing. I've never had an Eagles-Cowboys game that has been overshadowed. In I've been doing this in, on WIP for 29 years, and I can't ever remember an Eagles-Cowboys game where it wasn't the lead story. But that is this week. But there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, – there's so many aspects to get into. But I want to do uh, – Jason Kelsey is everybody's favorite Eagle. And he had a great conversation earlier this week with Angelo on WIP. And he talked about the difference between Eagles fans and Cowboys fans. And I want to I play this now. To hear whenever you're ready, file, uh, fire that up.
he hit it as accurately as anybody ever hit it. So freaking smart. Um, I actually wrote a column about this yesterday that's on Inquire.com now. It'll be in the, the actual newspaper tomorrow. What he's talking about, if you think about it, makes the Cowboys in sports like one of the most uncool things in sports. Because Jason's right. The majority of their fan base became fans by watching them on national TV all the time. They don't live in Dallas or Fort Worth or Arlington or even in Texas. It's, it's the fandom of somebody who likes a boy band or a Marvel movie. It's very superficial, and it's not the same thing here. It's not a birthright the way it is for Eagles fans or Phillies fans or, you know, as your family knows, if you grow up rooting for the Buffalo Bills yeah. or, or one of those teams, it's just different, and it's not the same thing. And Jason is so right in what he said. Yeah, and a big part of it is um, how people here get it from their dad who got it or their mom who got it from their parents who pass it down to their kids. And when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the thing that struck me the most was how the generations bonded and people – hug their dads or, you know, show their kids and, mm -hmm. and just how it became that thing. And, geez, people went and visited their, their grandparents' tombs. Sprinkled graves. ashes on the yeah. graves. Yes. I mean, it was it was that. And it does mean that much here. And Cowboy fans, listen, I, I wrote back in the day, I wrote the Great Philadelphia Fan Book and devoted a whole chapter to the rivalry between the Eagles and the Cowboys and how the Cowboys fans here were the kids who would take their ball and go home, who didn't get along, who wanted to be contrarians, who when the Eagles were bad, which they were for an extended period of time back in the day, couldn't hang with it and went the other way. And I, I think Jason is just so spot on. It yeah. Was, it was it, one of my favorite quotes. It's, it's a sensibility. It's a, it's a difference in, as he said, culture in a way. And that's not even taking into consideration the actual demographics of the two areas like his full answer gets into that about it's north versus yeah, south yeah. and dallas is gleaming skyscrapers and oil money and philadelphia is not that it's just a clash of cultures that is part of what makes an eagles cowboys game so and cool our, and, and, our, neat. and by the way just for the record our culture is much better Okay, this is when we check in with our uh, friends, our doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard is with us today. Doc, how are you on this huge sports weekend? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, we just uh, had a Jason Kelsey quote on the show, so I want to ask you about Jason Kelsey. He, he sustained a lower ankle sprain on his left foot um, or his left leg uh, last week. Uh, ended up going to the locker room, ended up coming back out. He is going for his 128th consecutive start at center this week, but he is going to be doing it on, we don't know how seriously injured an ankle, but an ankle. So my question is, not knowing the depth of the injury, lower ankle sprain, not upper ankle sprain, how do you get a guy ready for that special tape? What do you do? How do you know he can play? Where, where do you stand with that? Yeah, well, I think it's a good sign that it's described as a lower ankle sprain instead of a high ankle sprain. Just uh, it involves... Ligaments that tend to heal a little bit more quickly. And so, you know, an ankle sprain means that a couple ligaments got stretched. And so hopefully it's a pretty minor one where the, uh, the ligament just has a little bit of stretch. You can, you know, have serious ones where you actually have tears and things like that. But it's a good sign that uh, uh, he's, you know, predicted to play. And so, you know, it, as with any ligament, you want to protect it from further injury. So, you know, you were spot on, you know. Um, as far as uh, you want to tape it, give it a little bit more support. 
of course, that comes at the cost of maybe a little bit decreased mobility, which obviously is important for his game. But again, you know, the, there's a lot of positives in the, the stuff that's come out as far as uh, uh, what the future holds. Doc, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, Glenn and I have been talking and batting around back and forth with callers. The idea of the Phillies using certain pitchers, Zach Wheeler specifically, on short rests, either you know, in a closing situation, maybe in today's game with Wheeler, or him coming back and pitching a potential game five on three or four days rest. What are the risks for a pitcher who pitches on short rest? Um, is it simply a matter of decreased velocity? How much is the injury risk heightened in a situation like that? Um, it's difficult to quantify, but it certainly exists. Um, you know, the when you throw, obviously that's not exactly a natural activity, and so it puts a tremendous strain on some, you know, muscles and joints and things like that. And so, you know, if you don't allow enough rest in between to where the the muscles regain their normal function and strength, sometimes, you know, re- returning too soon, you may have kind of a breakdown in the form. Uh, as far as pitching mechanics and that can put added stress to certain areas and can really increase the risk of uh, of injury and so you know it's a delicate balancing act they play you know trying to see if somebody can you know pitch on short rest and you know it, 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 at at best it can manifest itself in you know lack of velocity and control and at worst and it could you know predispose to injury all right, Doc, my final medical question to you is uh, can you safely assure me that the Phillies will close out against the Braves, the Eagles will beat the Cowboys tomorrow, and that Philadelphia fans will remain in tremendous, a state of tremendous mental health? I have the utmost confidence. I actually was able to go to the game yesterday. And, uh, there you go. The nice. here alone, I think, uh, kind of helped, helped with that. So I think if that situation exists today, that'll help, and Certainly Sunday night, I have no doubt it'll be that way also. Were you the guy behind home plate with your face painted red? Was that you? Yeah, how'd you recognize me? There you go. (laughs) 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 Dr. Mark Pollard, always a pleasure. Have a great weekend, man. Thanks, you too. All right, there you go. That's definitely the guy I want operating on me. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, that's okay. Dr. Pollard, not necessarily the guy behind home plate. I think he's a little more reserved than that. I hope so. Rob in Philly is with us. Hey, Rob. How you doing, uh, Glenn? How you doing, Mike? I like reading you and uh, Todd. You're my two favorite. I'm a Thank baseball you. guy from way back. I, I was thinking of uh, what's his name, uh, Glenn's father. With your dad, a big Buffalo. I was born in '46, uh, Glenn. So uh-huh. I was I was a Phillies fan at nine, ten in the mid '50s. Never really bad. Yeah. I stuck with him. I I tell friends when they ask me about. It, I says following a bad baseball team is like being married. You know, you got to be. Good days and bad remain. That's right. You got to be committed to it. Exactly. That's right. My dad, trust me, my dad went through a lot of really rough imagine. Buffalo Bill seasons. This this and metaphor, this analogy is going to take us to some tenuous places here, guys. Just saying. Okay. Well, I also, hey, he was married to my mom well, for 60 years, so okay. it all so it goes, worked out. It goes together, Glenn. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to say, Todd, is uh, I'm sorry, Mike. I, I'm big on like little seminal moments in a game, you know, the change. We all know about the inside, I bet. But you're going to, I go back to the play. When the pickle played first, you know, Marsh was dead out at third. But oh, I think uh, when mm-hmm. Riley couldn't hold the ball or it was a short hop, if he's out, it's two outs, nobody on. The whole thing doesn't unfold, as you know that, right? But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Little, little, little things like that. Like, I mean, he took a chance. He says, it's going to take a perfect throw to get me, and it wasn't a perfect throw. And 
that doesn't unfold. I mean, it's just so funny the way things happen that way. Did you notice that after the game? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's been one of the fun parts of this series from the beginning, which is both teams are putting the ball in play a yeah. lot. You know, go back to game one and those runs that the Phillies scored with two outs, just punching the ball, putting it in play. That's, that's been, honestly, my complaint about so much of Major League Baseball in recent years is there not, there's not enough action. Well, there's been a lot of action in this series, and it is made for fun watching. Well, before I leave, I want to say something to Glenn. Um, if the Eagles can't win it, the more you talk about your dad, I identify with him in a way. So I'm a Buffalo. I appreciate that. I really do. And thank you. And, and listen, uh, Rob, my dad listens to this show. This will not surprise you. My dad listens to this show, which I appreciate. My dad goes, oh, it's my son on the radio, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. And so – when people mention my dad, he gets a lift out of that. that it's it's a wonderful it's thing. Great. I know my parents are tuning in right now. There down you in go. Sea Isle City. What are your parents' names? Uh, Ann and Chuck. Um, Ann and Chuck. And they they have friends over. They're all listening because they're at that age where they sit around the house and they listen to the radio. Terrific. So, um, Take shout every out to listener them. we can get. Darn right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. The great Larry Anderson is going to be joining us in the next segment. We look forward to that, and we will take your calls as well. Phillies against the Braves. Two oh seven first pitch. It's going to be Noah Syndergaard. We feel great about that, right, Mike? It's going to be Noah Syndergaard. There you go. We feel all right about that. <laughs> we it's do. It's going to be fine. Noah Syndergaard <laughs> in a cast of thousands. Right here on 94 WIP. Well, that's on me. I, I should have had him keep that a little longer or maybe give a different highlight because as great as Scott Fransky is there, and he is, we cut it off before the second half of that. The wise half of that <laughs> came on. The great Larry Anderson, who is offering color in all of these broadcasts. I got to tell you, L.A. joins us now. It is such a pleasure to hear you. This is no slight on any of the guys who work with Scott. I don't mean it to be that way. But hearing you, for your expertise, your familiar voice, your chemistry with Scott – just the old friend back at the microphone, L.A. It's it's one of the highlights for me of the postseason. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind. I, it's for me. Uh, it it comes natural, I think, because I'm working with Scott. Yeah. Um, where we become such good friends, like we finish each other's sentences. We we he knows what I'm thinking. He, you know. It's just, I think the chemistry is the key, and to to be there with him, who I, and I, as you said, not because I'm sitting here, the same thing, not because Scott sits next to me, but he is one of the best in the country. Yep. Uh, I'm, and I'm just not no, no, blowing smoke. No. No, it's and, true. And, and it's, Nobody's going to argue that. Right. With exactly. You. Just, just trying to, and it, and he makes it, and. You know, the other thing, you can hear him when he's working with everybody else, how good he is. You know, for me to be able to sit home and listen to him, uh, it doesn't matter who he's with. He's excellent. But I just, I, I, I love working with him. Yep. It's just plain and, and it, simple. And it shows, and it's, it's just great to hear. So what have these, what, one, two, three, four, five playoff games been like for you? You haven't called a playoff game in a long time. So what has this been like? Um, it's, it's intense and very intense, uh, probably too much for me right now, more than <laughs> at my age, more than I should be dealing with. Uh, <laughs> I, I keep the paddles close by, <laughs> but it, I we got to bring LA back. Oh it, my God. 
it's so it's so exciting. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at the, the reaction of the fans and, and how things were yesterday. And the one thing I've said, I, I talked to Reese uh, specifically a, a number of times about it, getting back here and, and playing. And from the from the time the Phil's clinched in Houston on that Monday, my biggest hope was that the Phil's could get through enough playoff games to get one at home so that these guys can experience. Schwarber talked about it. Hoskins, Reese has talked about it a bunch. I, I want to I experience it. I've seen video. I've heard it. You know, people talk about it, but I want to experience it. And the fact that they're getting to experience it now, that, that just, it, it, like, just warms me. It gives me chills, it, it, you know, like I'm, like I'm part of it almost. Well, well, you are part of it. And, and what is it? You played in front of these crowds. Oh. You played in front of these crowds on two teams that made it to the World Series. You were a big part of some great teams here and some crowds. And, and you also played Houston, Seattle. I forget where else. Those are two that I remember. You, 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 you made the yeah. rounds. Yeah. Okay. What, what is it, it here? It's um, I, the passion. There's, there's, I, there's no other word. I, you know, I, I talk to to anybody. I talk about the fans and what it's like playing and in, in playoff and the atmospheres, uh, sports towns. I, I put Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago, tremendous sports towns. I would, I would never change. I would never want to be somewhere else than here. And the, and I've said this for a long time. I said it to the guys in 08. I think. Uh, Pat Burrell, Chase Utley, Worth, all those guys, Victorino. Uh, and I love those guys. I, I absolutely love them. They're great guys and great teams. But even with them, I, it's like, I, I don't really – I don't care if they win a World Series for them. You know, it's kind of like maybe selfishly, but like I've been there. I've done it. I've, I've experienced it. I want other guys to experience it just for that reason, just for the excitement of playing in the playoffs in Philadelphia. Yeah. And it – for me, I want them to win, and I know it might sound like I'm blowing smoke up the fans' tails, but I want them to win for the fans. The fans have been, for how many years? They, they've put up with 10,000 losses. They've, they've, they've struggled to, to get into the, the playoffs with a number of or, all the organizations. There's just not as m- enough winning here. Yep. And when they do, there's nothing like it. And that's what I, I just – I'm thrilled to see these guys experience it. So I- – you were a key member of a team that was a key part of my childhood. I was 18, childhood, relatively right. speaking. I was 18 years old in 1993, and I remember that summer very, very well. What is it like, what does it do for a player to play in front of a Philadelphia crowd? Does it juice you up more? Do you have to kind of try to work to maintain control? How does it affect you? It, it, it Mike, it's, it, it's hard to put into words. It's... You know, you're so excited. You're so amped up. You, you get into it. It's like they, they take you to another level. And you have to, you have to be able to, to, to settle down. To, to, yeah. but, but, you know, you, you can do one of two things. You can, you can get o- overly nervous about it and kind of blow up. Or you can accept it. You, you have to accept it and, and, and trust yourself to just let's calm down. Let's not get overexcited. The, the, the hardest part is when you're not playing. I think, you know, mm-hmm. being on the bench uh, or sitting in a bullpen or even after you come out of the game, if, you, if you've been in the game, you come out. That Once, once you're in the game, it, you go back to, okay, here's my routine. I, I, I'm used to this part. But the, the part when you're not out on the mound or if you're, you know, if it's a shortstop, if you're not playing your position, 
that's that's where the nerves get to. It's like you get so excited, and it just the, the fans, again, they just take right. you to another level. And it's going to be phenomenal today. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things we have seen and some of the things we're going to see. I'm going to start by asking you about Aaron Nola. Had another great outing, three terrific ones in a row, allowing no runs in combined 19-plus innings. Um, are you seeing something specifically from him that's causing this success? Uh, he's always been terrific, but these are great moments. I think, to me, the, the biggest thing that, that Aaron's done is using his fastball more. He's, it, 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 for, for a number of years, I felt like every time he got ahead in the count, he had to go to his curveball or his changeup. Now, and, and I've, I've talked about it before, of not being predictable. He can't be predictable. And, and it got to a point where it was like, you get two strikes, okay, here comes a yeah. breaking ball. Oh. But now he's like, he'll pump a fastball in there. He'll use his, he's using his fastball more, his changeup less. And I think that's been a big key, I think. And against the uh, Atlanta, he used his cutter a little more against them down the stretch. Um, it's another wrinkle for him. But I think it really everything, just about with everybody, comes down to fastball command. But with Nola specifically using that fastball when he's ahead in the count, I think it's been a big difference. What have you seen from Reese Hoskins in terms of his ability to kind of ride these waves that he's been on offensively and defensively throughout this postseason? Um, I, I, I think the biggest thing is just, and Thompson has talked about a lot, the unselfishness. Um, I, I talked to him in Atlanta, and I told him how much he reminded me of Dave Hollins. With, if Dave Hollins went three for five with two home runs and drove in six and we lost, he was miserable. I mean, you did not want to get around him. And now if he had a tough game when we lost, you better, <laughs> you better keep your distance. But if he, if he went 0 for 4 with three punch outs and made an error and we won, he was, he was high-fiving. And I said to Reese, you know, he was, I think at the time in Atlanta, he was 0 for 9 or something at that point. And I was like, you know what, I, I just I respect you for the fact that you're thrilled. Teams win the games. You're not hanging your head. You're not pouting, well, I didn't do very good. You know, No, he's, he's jumping up and down. He's thrilled. He's pumped up. And for his teammates, you know, obviously he's not happy that he, he's not producing like he wants to or hadn't. But I just I respect that for for somebody that just it's a team game when, when you're when you're out there supporting your teammates and you take your eyes off yourself, it it, it helps you to get better. Sure, Larry Anderson is our guest, uh, the Great Phillies broadcast. You will hear him today on ninety four WIP with Scott Fransky. Um, so today's game, it's Noah Syndergaard for we don't know how long. Right. What's a reasonable expectation? I think uh, getting through the lineup. Uh, getting through the lineup one time and see where we're at with that. Uh, he's, he's used to the stage. He's, yeah. he's been on the big stage. Um, I, think, I think we'll see a, a calming starting pitcher just going out there trying to do what he can. And it's been a while, you know, for him starting a game or getting out there consistently, um, which I think helps him, his velocity a little bit, which I think will help. The big thing will become command, you know, but that's with anybody. Um, it comes to that but i'm i expect him like i'm looking at you know three maybe four innings i'm hoping and and then go from there let and the, then where let the yeah. take over and then we'll see what happens uh, so everybody everybody's in on deck I mean, okay so that that was my question was you've been in those situations you've been a relief pitcher in an all hands on deck situation in a playoff game right how do you prepare for that what what's your process in making sure that you are ready if you are called on just do your same routine you know, don't do anything different. Don't change anything. Um, 
and get in your mind. That, and one thing I've always said, and this was actually before the DH, but I always said in the National League as a reliever, you're you're a closer. I don't care if you, I don't care if you're going into the third inning, or you know, and you're down four to nothing or four to one, whatever it is. You're you, you come into a game, you're a closer. It doesn't matter what inning. It's a little different because at the the, the last three outs are oftentimes the toughest. But you got to shut it down. If you come in the fourth inning, the fifth inning, the eighth inning, you you have to you have to do your job. You have to shut it down. I think to get that mentality of in a game like this, it okay. If you're Jose Alvarado saying I, I have to be ready in the fourth inning, I have to yep. be ready in the fifth inning. You you prepare your you just get that in your head and and just understand that. So we hear there is a possibility that uh, if circumstances are right, Zach Wheeler could be called on today, right. pitch an inning or two, maybe you know as a close, right. maybe toward the end. He's a starting pitcher. It's right. different than a reliever. You used to throw, what, 70, 80 games a season. Right. He's never pitched on three days rest in his major league career. What's it like for him to do this? What, what, will, he, what will have to be in his, his mind and his body? I think just the same thing. It's like, I'm going to go out there. i got a job to do and just concentrate on what he has to do, and that's it. Um, there, it there's no secret to what – to what he has and, and, and his own stuff. He knows himself. He knows what he's got to do. And I think it's just a matter of just mentally preparing yourself. Um, I know in, in winter ball, and this is going back 40-something years, but I pitched, I started the first playoff game for Santurce in Puerto Rico, a day off, and I started the next day. I went five innings. All right. Um, and it's... It, 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 no matter what the situation, you don't even think about it. Just do For it. me, you just you just go out and do it, and, yeah. and you you just grasp the moment and, and do what you can. It, it's interesting to hear you talk about the importance of routine because, if I remember correctly, and, and this is a pretty famous story about you, when you closed a Game Five of the National League Championship Series, right. you did something a little different, I think, in throwing <laughs> a pitch that you hadn't thrown before. Am I right about that? Yes. And yes. kind of take us through that and and how that factors into marrying that with the routine of you got to go with, with what you know well my routine was generally I, I had pretty good command of my slider cutter um they're kind of the same but for me um very small variation with the grip but um it was it was out of necessity that i had to throw a pitch that i threw maybe five times during the season when i threw the split changeup. Mm -hmm. um because i think probably Every other pitch I threw in that game was about belt high or higher. <laughs> and somehow, Blouse, Jeff Blouse, Otis Nixon flew out to the track, and that mm -hmm. was probably his best shot. Um, I got behind him, but it, another, it was a cookie, hit it to the track for an out. Blouser comes up, swung through three hanging sliders, um, where I, I, think, I think maybe they were too high and, and too bad for him to make contact <laughs> with. Uh, and, and then with Gant, he came up and couple of hanging sliders he fouled back and it was almost like I'm thinking probably on the same lines with Darren Dalton we're like hey, you know I think if he throws another one of those we might have a tie ball <laughs> <laughs> so he called for the change up and I, I don't know if my face gave it away I felt like my chin hit the mound <laughs> um, like but I was also at the point where like yeah that's probably a good idea yeah. get off that slider and it just happened to uh end up in the right place for a call third. 
Hey, Larry, you know so much about pitching. We we talk a lot about Rob Thompson and what he has meant for this team. We don't often talk about the pitching coach, Caleb Cotham. Right. The Phillies, I'll say it, you don't have to. have been through a couple questionable pitching coaches before him. Um, I trust your opinion on this as much or more than anybody's. What's your sense of what he has done with this staff? Um, to be honest, I, I just have to look at the results. You know, the results of what he's done from where this to staff was. The, uh, the pitching was not the, the forte of this ball club to start the season no. or anybody talked about. Much like the defense yep. was, was uh, the, you know, the offense had to overcome the pitching and defense. Well, I think Bobby Dickerson defensively has helped Bohm tremendously. Tough games. He's had tough games. Everybody does. But he's helped him. I think his teammates have helped him tremendously. The same thing with the pitching coach. Um, I don't know specifically what Caleb's done, um, but the results, what can you say? Yeah. I mean, except that he's obviously done a good job. And that's, you look at the bullpen, I think with Lundy out there in the bullpen, I think he's helped these guys a lot. I think he, for me, I would think that he's probably more of a mechanical guy, uh, whereas Caleb is more of a uh, analytic guy. Um, and, and just based on experience, I think because I say that. Um, so, but the bottom line is what what the staff has done. Uh, I think that that speaks volumes to what Caleb's done. I, I I don't personally. I don't think Jose Alvarado's turnaround gets enough attention. Right. I mean, you have a left-hander who can come in throwing 100 miles an hour. He threw a pitch in yesterday's game. It looked like a hundred mile an hour screwball. Yeah. And that's an incredible weapon to have, not only during the regular season but certainly in the postseason. When he went down, somebody did something or somebody talked to him. Somebody got in his head because this this is it was it was like me throwing left-handed versus Sandy Koufax. I mean, that's that's the yeah. the, the strides that he made. Something happened, whether it was and it could have been just himself going, "Hey, I'm I'm not a Triple A pitcher. I'm not a minor league pitcher. I belong up there." I got to go up there and trust myself. I think uh, T Mac talked to Sir Anthony Dominguez and kind of along the same lines where he said, are, are you, How do you feel? Your arm bothering you? No, I feel good. I feel good. He said, Well, then throw strikes. Go after the hitters. And, and we've seen that the last few times with Sir Anthony, and it's been a revelation. I think the same thing with Jose saying, You know what? I got to trust my stuff. I got yeah. good stuff. I think using a little more, few more cutters. But but now you add that with that fastball, and, and he's not walking people at all. That's the the biggest thing. So he he's just been tremendous. Sometimes it's about confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's about believing you're the best damn absolutely. guy out there. Yep. What you got 18 years off of that, right? If you don't go, if you're on the mound and you don't think you're better than the guy at the plate, then you better get off the mound, yeah. or else get a pitching screen in front of you. Larry Anderson, listening to you is always a pleasure. Speaking with you here is always a pleasure. You will be doing the game with Scott Fransky today, and we believe. No, you haven't traveled a whole lot. It's going to be California, L.A. coming up. Yes, it's going to be one of those. San Diego. I'm hoping for San Diego, not for any matchups or anything. I just you like the beaches. Yeah, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's that 77 and sunny every well, day. I, I might have something the, to the do. The Dodgers with. won what 108 yeah. games, something like that yeah. this year. Padres were just a little ahead of the Phillies. So, yes, I think yeah. that's a better matchup. Larry Anderson, it is a pleasure. Uh, we look forward to listening to you. 215-592-9494. We'll come back with your calls. Um, it is Mike Sielski and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
Hey, fall is in full swing. The leaves are changing. Everyone is breaking out their comfy sweaters. Gone are the days of blasting your car's AC. Although the weather is getting colder, the sales at United Tires are staying hot. Now through the end of the month, United Tire is offering up $70 in savings when you purchase select tires from your favorite brands, including BF Goodrich, Michelin, and Michelin. Stop by your local United Tire today. For more details, say so long to summer and hello to fall with the help of the great people at United Tire. Don't drive alone. Drive United. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now at the ballpark. People are coming in. They look great. They are fired up. Nice crowd out here today, yes. Um, By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank Business. Banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Let's say hello to Alan in Central Jersey. What's going on, Alan? Hey, guys. How you doing? Great day. Great day. Um, How are you, Alan? I'm doing really well. I I really am. I'll, I'll take a moment to tell you that as a season ticket holder for many years when they opened up the new stadium and up until about 2013, I can't believe that we're circling back again with a chance to uh, to get back there. I've been at that stadium when it was sold out. I've been to a World Series game, not that I ever thought I would be at one. So I'm super excited. I'll be watching it on TV and taking my white rally towel and waving it with the crowd and getting everybody to sit again. I don't know I if love you that. Yeah, sure that listen, people, it's well, a great time you, to be I'm a fan gonna, for stuff like that. I'm Lucky charms, superstitions, all that stuff plays in it, now. It's not that, but everybody at home who's ever been to the stadium when it's been like that knows the right time to raise your hands and get everybody in your section to stand up, okay? Mm-hmm. And, to, and to clap and everything. There's just a chill excitement about it, and I'm really glad that we're having a chance to do it again. So, nice. Anyway, um, my point about pitching, which is really, and Larry said it too, I'm really looking at Noah Syndergaard. If he can command his fastball and he can get through the lineup twice, I think that's about as much as you can expect. My biggest concern is oh, that I, I think it's third more... time around. No, I, don't oh, think, yeah. I don't think you need to worry about that, Alan. And we got to run. I appreciate the call. There's no way he's going through the lineup twice. No, L.A. said he would be satisfied if Syndergaard got through the lineup once. Yeah. And I think that's the way you have to approach this. Um, we've used the phrase a number of times during the show, but it's relevant. It's the phrase of the day, all hands on deck. All right, so let's say ideal. Okay, here's ideal for me. Three innings from Syndergaard. Oh, that's absolutely ideal, yes. Okay, let's say three. And, and so, see, I'm hoping that it matches up. L.A. didn't talk about Bailey Falter. I know you asked him. Maybe an inning from Bailey Falter, you find a couple lefties in their lineup, right? Mm-hmm. All right, that's four. Yep. Going to get an inning from Alvarado. This is not necessarily an order. That's, right. That's five. Mm-hmm. Two right. from Sir Anthony. Right, that's seven. Seven. One from Eflin, one from Wheeler. Boom! Let's go to San Diego, boys. <laughs> Did I leave you, anybody out? No, you've got it all mapped out. You uh, you laid it out there perfectly. It's Let's just wait for it to unfold in front of us. I'm sure it'll work exactly that it, way. Oh, Mike. I'm certain. I'm absolutely certain. You know. Aaron in Norristown, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Hi, Aaron. Aaron, you with us? I cannot we hear can. you. Aaron, I'm going to put you on hold, and we'll try getting back to you. You sounded like you were calling from 1,000 miles away. Steve and Kenneth Square is with us. Hello, Steve. Hi, guys. This hey, is hey not Steve. A prediction. This is not a prediction. It is not even an anticipation. But you ran an ad about a half an hour ago for an Eagles trip to Houston, Texas, on November 3rd. November 3rd is a Thursday. Yeah. Game six. Of the oh, World no. Series oh, boy. 
would be Friday, and then seven would be Saturday. Now, again, this is not a prediction, but yeah, wouldn't it okay. be fun to be an Eagles fan on that trip? Oh, wait. Oh, what I see, I see where the, he's going. The Phillies Astros. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Steve is really trying to play soothsayer here. He really no, is looking ahead. This is not a prediction. No, I, I understand. I heard the ad. Yeah, I heard the ad. I know. We're around 12 o'clock. Well, I got news. Your disclaimer aside, it may not be a prediction, but it's it's something that we could certainly, well, certainly anticipate. It's certainly super and um, I don't know who's planning that trip, but whoever is, I think, would quickly adjust it to keep people out. Could there you imagine how many trash can lids Phillies fans would bring to Houston to bang uh, in front of the team that yeah. cheated and stole signs doing yeah, that? Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah, talk but, about. But but to play you know, their football team, which is. A bad team, but oh, whatever. Oh, a very bad team. And their baseball team, which is a really good team, the same week. Oh, that's a dream. That that would be the, the Philadelphia Inquirer and WIP would have to open Houston bureaus. Yeah. For those seven or eight days. Yeah, sure. It would be great. It would be great. Steve, that's that's good uh, good work by you. Ooh. Do we lose Steve? No, no. no well, I, Steve's gone. Okay. Um. Yeah, I would definitely want to go. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Houston's come around to be a pretty good city in the last few years uh, I, was I was in th- houston a couple times back in my newspaper days mostly what i just remember about houston is sprawl and here's what i remember about houston the biggest cockroach i've ever seen in my <laughs> life was in houston it was this flying green cockroach they have them there I, I swear to god mike they're like the size of footballs this is glenn talking about the cockroach no, they're 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 scary out there. That's what I remember. Wow. Well, I, I, I was went to Houston for a hurricane, but that was a long time. Ago. I was the, I was last in Houston for uh, the 2016 Final Four when Chris Jenkins hit the shot. Oh, well. that won the national you championship for Villanova. Again, I went there to cover a hurricane. Well, well, I had a better event. No yes. offense, um, but the downtown area is is pretty nice. You know, putting the ballpark downtown, the Toyota Center's there. Um, there are some really nice sections of Houston. It would it, there would be worse places for Phillies go. fans to go for Phillies World Astros. Series. I'm in. Hey, sounds great to me. All right, let's see if Aaron is back with us. Aaron, can we hear you? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we got you. Yeah, we're yeah. good. We're great. Hey, what, 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 what timing this is? What a weekend! I mean, like, who would have gone to a game yesterday? And you get in five pitches, you get six consecutive batters, you get five hits and a walk, and six runs, literally on five pitches. I know. You get Aaron Nola, who's now the fourth pitcher ever to have his first two postseason starts where he gave up no runs in six innings, no earned runs in six innings. You get an epic backflip that on the seventh anniversary date of Joey Batista is now the most epic backflip slam I've ever seen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> on, Good literally pull. on the seventh anniversary of Joey Batista's backflip. And now you have the, the Phillies ready to roll us into an Eagles game tomorrow. We're all going to need, like, Monday off after we beat the Cowboys. And then next week, we the Cowboys, I mean, the Eagles – have off so the Phillies can have the home games for the championship series. It's all just falling right into place. It's an unbelievable stretch of sports in this you, town. You know, it's funny, Aaron. We, we often, Philadelphia sports fans often lament, you know, having won a championship in so many years. You know, obviously people were overjoyed when the Eagles won in 2018 or when the Phillies won in 2008. But right. it at times, there have been things that have happened in Philadelphia sports that weren't championships, 
but that were incredibly unique and special. You know, you think about Roy Halladay. So yeah. Right. You think about Roy Halladay throwing a postseason no-hitter. You think about the Flyers coming back from a three-games-to-none deficit. You know, stuff right. like that. No, it's not it's a championship, not but, boy, it's, but boy, it's fun to, to experience that and have that be part of the ride as well. Yeah, and I really wanted to quickly speak on Larry Anderson and, and him with France. And, you know, he's cutting down with the amount of games. He, we are so lucky to first have Harry and Richie, and now, you know, I have Scott and Larry on the radio. And it, you know, it's just, it's not anybody's fault. It's just that they're not Larry Anderson, whoever's going to replace sure. them. Yes, and, of course. And it's just, that's like, it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're not Larry. And boy, like, I listen to most of the games on the radio, and even when they're on TV. Those guys are just magic. And when he, when yesterday, when, and I was listening yesterday, when he hit that ball, when Hawkins hit the ball, he usually says belted and he said crushed. It was, you could just feel the electricity in the stadium. It's just, it's going to be that way again today, I hope. And it is. You're absolutely just, right. Great call, Aaron. I appreciate it. Now, he brought up an anniversary, so I'm going to give you an anniversary in a moment because it is Mike Sealski. Time for our Scheib Vintage Sports. Uh, moment this week in Philadelphia sports history brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit their new location in, in Wayne at Lancaster Avenues in downtown Wayne or go to ShiveSports.com. We'll do our Shive Sports giveaway tomorrow. But today is the potential for a clinching game in a series. Mm-hmm. Philly's leadoff hitter, who is a power hitter, has not exactly hit the mark yet. Not yet. But I take you back to this date in 2008. Game five of the NLCS. They were a little bit ahead at that point. Well, they one less wild card round, I guess. Yep. Game five, leadoff, first batter of the game in Los Angeles against Chad Billingsley was one Jimmy Rollins, and here we go. Billingsley looks in for the sign for Martin. Here's the windup. And a payoff pitch to J-Roll. Swing and a drive. Hit well. Right field. Going back, Ethier on the warning track. At the wall. Looks up. It is gone. Leadoff home run, Jimmy Rollins. His first home run of the league championship series, and he has given the Phillies a one to nothing lead here in the top of the first inning. And just as he did in a clinching situation in Milwaukee, Rollins has put the Phillies in front one to nothing tonight in Los Angeles. Thank you, Scott Fransky. That was 14 years ago today. Your thoughts, Mike Silski? That was the amazing part. Scott hit it right on the nose in the call at the moment. In Game 4 against Milwaukee, the previous series, Jimmy Rollins, leading off the game, had hit a 3-2 fastball over the right field wall to give the Phillies a 1-0 lead. Game 5 against the Dodgers, he hits a 3-2 fastball over the right field wall to give the Phillies a 1-0 lead. There were so many moments like that during that run, whether you're talking about the Stairs home run, the Victorino home run in Game 4, the two Rollins leadoff homers, um, and, and you can't... You cannot overemphasize how important Jimmy Rollins was to that team as a oh, leadoff yeah. hitter, oh, yeah. as a leader, his defense, his smarts, Won all an of MVP, it. MVP, baby. Yep. Uh, yes, and I just remember that game. The Phillies go on to cruise to victory in yep. that game 5-1. Cole, to one. Cole Hamels was terrific. Oh, what a postseason he had. Yes. Uh, and I just love the opportunity to play that today as we are here in a potential clinching game. Schwarber, baby, that's that's it's it's Schwarber's got to come up with something. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Glenn. The idea, after, for instance, when Harper came off the disabled list and wasn't hitting, if you were a Phillies fan, you had reason to be optimistic because you got to figure eventually he's going to hit. That this is Bryce Harper, and 
He can be streaky, sure. Same thing with a Reese Hoskins or a Kyle Schwarber. But eventually they're going to hit. If you're a Phillies fan, I think you got to think the same thing about Schwarber. Yeah, he's 0 for whatever he is. But he was on base a bunch yesterday. And at some point, he's going to start hitting, you think. Yeah, well, he got the home run from Hoskins yesterday. And he is a streaky player. So right. maybe this uncorks that for him. If he can catch a ball, it would help too. Well, yes. A separate issue. That would be good. Uh, this hour sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Let's talk to Tim in South Jersey. Hello, Tim. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, Hi, there. Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, sure. I just had a premonition, actually a series of premonitions, and it started with, I was out late last night playing my music a little loud, and I just now got in the car for the first time right as the Eye of the Tiger just went off, and of course I drove around town listening to it, <laughs> getting my blood boiling. So ah, I think That's the second Rocky brilliant. reference of the show, let the uh, record show. Tim, Tim, here's, listen, Tim, you got to drive down to the Jersey Shore, go, get to Sea Isle, get to Ocean City, wherever you're going to go, and right. go running on a beach with Sly <laughs> and Carl Weathers. Let's do this. Nobody wants to see that. Or else, or else I would. No, no, but uh, guys, I really think something big is going to happen in this game, something that's going to be a talking point for the next decade, whether Ooh. it be a leadoff home run by Schwarber or a guy like Marsh at two. Who, who knows what it could be? Or Thor goes through, uh, I just called him Thor, wow. Um, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. That's good. <laughs> hey, it would be nice if he is Thor. We remember Thor. Yes. Thor was a great pitcher in his youth pre-injury and saw the long hair. I mean, Thor was striking out 200 batters a season. Throwing thunderbolts. And he was doing it in the postseason as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been there before. So he's pitching to a lot of contact, which hopefully he doesn't throw a lot up. But yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's the best move. Rob's pushed all the right buttons so far. I'm going to uh, hang up and listen. Thanks, guys. You got it. Thank we, you, Tim. We, we have faith in, in Topper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, th- I mean, look, that's so much a part of it. It is. Um, you know, Todd Zalecki spoke about it earlier, and he's right. The difference in this team from the moment Thompson became the manager, it's not a coincidence. And, and it speaks to the importance of the person in that position. Do you want to come to work every single day? Do you want to perform for the the person that you work for? That stuff matters. It just does. And anytime anybody makes the argument nowadays that, oh, a manager in baseball doesn't matter or coaches don't matter. I so disagree with that. Point to Rob Thompson and say, sorry, you're wrong. So I think that a manager in baseball probably means less during the game than you would find in other sports, mm-hmm. okay? I Especially mean, now that the designated hitter is gone from the National League. The strategy has been de-emphasized. Okay. Not that he doesn't matter because he has to make decisions. Which reliever to bring in when? What to do? What you know? And, and listen, Topper plays a little small ball, mm-hmm. right? We haven't seen that. I think the biggest impact a manager has in baseball, and, and you can't say that it, it's unimportant, is in how he conducts the clubhouse, how he runs the team. I'll go back to Charlie Manuel, okay? When Charlie Manuel came in, I will plead guilty of not being a big fan. I remember early on, it's like he didn't know how to double switch. Yep. I thought, yeah, American League manager, what is he doing here? This, is, this isn't this is going to work out. Um, but what Charlie Manuel did is he took this clubhouse of guys who all became stars over years, the Rollins and the Utleys mm-hmm. and the Howards, and like, 
who could all have big egos and making big salaries, and he kept it together. Yeah. For what eight years, however many years he was here. Yeah. There was never a player revolt. The players played for him. There weren't personality clashes. And what what Thompson has done, by all accounts, is he got these guys believing in himself, playing to their best. They know where they are. They know what they do. You can't say it's unimportant. No, it's particularly important in a market, I think, like this one. I don't think it's a coincidence that the last two championships that Philadelphia has celebrated from its pro sports teams were with teams managed by Charlie Manuel and Doug Peterson, both relatively low-key, kind of laid-back guys. This market puts enough pressure on athletes as it is. You don't need a manager like a Joe Girardi who is going to create an atmosphere in a clubhouse that is tense and intense every single day because the market itself creates that. And if anything, you need a coach to kind of lighten it and counteract it a little bit, I think. So you know what I'm coming to believe based off that? The more uncharismatic you are, the better shot you have. There, And, and God bless Rob Thompson, mm-hmm. and I don't think he would argue with this. He is not a charismatic guy. No, he's he wh- does not exude big personality. No, he's he's white bread with unsalted butter. He yeah. is the he's the anti Kapler. Yes, very right? much, very much so. Expre- he's got a dry sense of humor, which is there. You got to kind of listen hard for it, but it is there. But the expression never changes. He never gets a right. We have been through our share of big personality mm-hmm. coaches and managers. The Buddy Ryans, Kapler had the big personality. Help me out. A or, couple others. Well, or also the idiosyncratic, guy, like Chip Kelly. You know, Chip the, Kelly the, was a big personality you know, guy. Yeah, Kapler it, was that way, too. Yeah. You yeah. know, just a little oddball. different. Yeah. yeah, different in an oddball way. Mm-hmm. It's the Andy Reeds who have no personality that you ever see. Um, Doug had a little bit, but Doug was not, you know. No. and Doug was and not Doug, cracking jokes. No, Doug wasn't flamboyant, and Doug wasn't. Doug wasn't creating an environment where his players, you know, were on edge all the time. They liked playing for him. Right. He was a player's coach. And again— But nobody's fool. Right. And again, the market itself, the fan base, the media, we apply plenty of pressure to these teams and these coaches and these athletes. It's what makes this market great. Mm -hmm. And so do you necessarily need a Girardi or— I don't know, a Buddy Ryan even. I mean, he's not quite what we're talking about here. He doesn't quite fit that that mold. But do you need a manager who is driving his players every single day? They're going to get driven. Look at these people walking across the concourse right now. Yeah. You know, they're the ones who are going to push these athletes to be all they can be. There you go. Happy birthday, Bryce Harper signed somebody in front. Is that, it's not today, is it? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. He oh, turns 30 go. tomorrow. No, it's it's going to go out of his 20s in, in, in huge fashion. I, I remember my 30th birthday. It was a long time ago. Who are you talking to? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm talking. My 30th birthday, you were probably in diapers. I was huh? a zygote, I think. Yeah, thanks. 215-592-9494. By the way, everything you just said does not speak does not bode well for John Tortorella. I was thinking exactly the same thing right? as, he, as we he, were saying. He is the one big personality. Well, well, a little the, bit. Yeah, and the difference is that team is so young and has so far to go that they might need to be Hey, 1-0, and o, baby. Undefeated they looked, Flyers. They looked great. They looked great. They're going to ride can Carter play, Hart to the Stanley Cup. Can they play Jersey every game? Uh, they're going to need to if they want to make the playoffs. There you go. 
215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. Hey, we'll take your calls. We're here until 1.30, as a matter of fact, uh, with leading off. So give us a call. We'd love to talk to you before the game on 94 WIP. I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. This hour uh, brought to you by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Mike, I just want to comment on what we see from our booth. So we have our broadcast booth. It's right behind home plate on the main concourse. It's pretty much where people walk by when Mm -hmm. they come into the game. It is a stunning sea of Phillies jerseys of all sorts. you got the, the white and red pinstripe jersey. You got a lot of the the blue jerseys, the Schmidt jerseys. Although we did just get a death stare from an Atlanta Braves fan who happened to walk by. I saw him in Smoltz jersey. Yeah. Yeah, one. Okay? The the Braves fans are not going to fill this place. As Phillies fans, you could hear Phillies fans at that Braves game. Uh, You don't see them here. The red Phillies jerseys are out there. Just it's it's amazing. Not that this place is going to be full and overflow capacity but everybody's got the colors on it's it's one of the cool things about having a baseball team that is really good because it's an every night thing right during the regular season and it builds and builds and builds uh and in this region whenever the phillies or the eagles or the sixers or the flyers are going on a run. I think it was Marsh just walked by. Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> Guy walk, just walked by with a jersey he, with a long, he looks like Moses. He's got a Mike Schmidt jersey on. Oh, he, it might be the Thor. He had the yeah, hammer. the Maybe Thor. He's doing Thor. I okay. don't know. If Mike Schmidt were a werewolf, that's how he'd look. <laughs> um, but it, it becomes a big community celebration. It really does. Um, where you see, you know, you go back to 2001 when the Sixers made the run of the finals and you would see those flags on top of people's cars yeah. everywhere you it's drove great. around the Delaware Valley. And um, it's just, it's a thing that brings people together. It's one of the coolest things about sports is that it cuts across all the other demographics. Nobody gives a damn about your politics or where you're from or what you think about this thing or the other thing. Are you here and are you wearing red? Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what you said, just take it a sentence or two further. This is a city that has great universities. This is a city that has tremendous, you know, healthcare facilities. Nobody goes and cheers for the hospital. Nope. Right? It's not. That's not the rallying point. Uh, cultural institutions are terrific, but. You're not going to get an art. People aren't going to paint their face for the art museum. No. But with sports, it is that way. And as you said, it's people who, you know, you're white, you're black, you're rich, you're poor, your city, your suburb. We all, it's the one thing that we all have in common. It's the denominator that we all root for. It is the most special team. And when your team is good, it pulls in everybody and, um, it's doing it right now. Yeah, it was it was slow in starting this year. Oh yeah, I now mean there we, was there was a lot of skepticism and and rightfully so because of the way the Phillies had finished recent seasons. You know they were in position to make the playoffs and it didn't happen. And there was a lot of discussion as the regular season came to a close. You know why aren't there more people at the at the ballpark? Yep. You know are people giving themselves to this team yet? Do they believe in the Phillies? And that's one of the things that's that characterizes the Philadelphia market is you got to show us. 
if you do, we will love you forever. But you got to show us first. Yeah. And now that, that this team has, oh, you see the result. Right now. We are seeing it right now. Let's go to our pal Jason. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Hey, what's going on, Glenn Mack? Doing great, buddy. Big weekend for Can you, you as a me? sports fan. Yeah, we got you. Go ahead. Oh, I'm so fired up. I cannot wait for the Phillies game today. Sure. We're going to take care of business. And you know what? We're, we're going to stop the chop. We are going <laughs> to stop the chop. We're going to stop on them. And we're going to make them pay. All right, Jason, there's another big game tomorrow. I know you first and foremost as an Eagles guy. It's Eagles-Cowboys. Do you have an opinion on that one? Of course. We're, we're going to win 31-14. Ooh, I like Eagles. that. Wow. There you go, buddy. He never disappoints. No, he doesn't. He's the greatest. 31 to 14. He's uh he's foreseeing a, a high scoring game against that Dallas defense. Uh yeah. That's uh it might be a little generous, but uh I'm listen, I'm on tomorrow for six and a half hours. Good um, luck to you. Thank you. I'm on by I'll, by the way, I'll be on just uh, uh previewing that. I'll be on tomorrow ten to one with Jody Mack. Uh Ray Dinger is gonna join us at noon. That haven't guy Ray again? In a while. Yeah, haven't haven't had Ray as guest in a while. Wow. We'll talk some baseball and some football with Ray, and then I'll be doing uh, countdown to kickoff at five, and then the Eagles pregame at six with Ike and Ruben and Elliot and Merrill and the Pep Band and the usual gang of idiots. So you're invited to stop by anytime. I, I'm sit in for. I'm going to um, sit in for who? Sit in for a moment. Oh, sure, of course. Okay, I thought you wanted me to replace no, somebody. No, um, no. Like, yeah, I like Elliot. I'm like, well, no, let's no, not no, kick him no. off the show. No. Um, yeah, can, I would love to. I got a lot of microphones. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be at the game tomorrow night to to write about it for the Inquirer. So uh, well, I will do my best to stop on. by. All right, so I'm going to get your prediction on that now. Um, and then we're, you're sticking around because we're doing leading mm-hmm. off. But let's talk about Eagles for a moment. Uh, how are you looking at that thing laying out tomorrow? Uh, as I said, I think the Cowboys have an excellent defense. Um, I don't think this is going to be a particularly high-scoring game for reasons that you and I have already discussed. The Eagles defense is going to put the ball, put the onus on Cooper Rush to win the game. And I don't think that bodes well for the Cowboys. I think this is going to be kind of a grinded-out sort of game. My prediction Eagles 24, Cowboys 13. I like that. Yeah? Because I know what I'm going to predict. It's not all that far from that. Oh, okay. And I think that your logic is, is sound. I think an important thing in this game is the Eagles getting a lead and mm-hmm. playing with a lead. Now, we've seen those amazing second quarters. and Everything was a little weird last week against Arizona, but we've seen the Eagles have these great second quarters. If the Eagles can get the lead, you get up a touchdown, you get up 10 points, you force Dallas to do something that it hasn't had to do. Their offense has not had to do it. They played very safe. They've been able to do that on the back of their mm-hmm. defense. Getting the lead would put them in a tough spot. We agree it's going to be Cooper Rush, right? Yeah. Not Dak Prescott. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, to me, like 90% I would, chance of that. I would be surprised if it were Dak Prescott yeah, yeah, yeah. starting. Okay. So you got to do that. You're going to have to play against that great pass rush. I think that um, Nick is smart enough to figure out ways, misdirection, diversion. I also think as good as their pass rush is, Dallas has been playing against a lot of quarterbacks who are kind of statues. Yes. Right? They beat up Matt Stafford. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt Stafford doesn't move. Right. 
Jalen Hurts is going to be a different thing from this year. I think he, not that he hasn't done this because he's, he's done it a ton, he's going to have to continue to run the ball, mm-hmm. and the Eagles will win by him being able to do that. Yeah, I, look, he is an X factor that I don't know that another team in the league has to that degree. Maybe Lamar Jackson, certainly. Um, but that's the thing that the Eagles are going to, in a way, as you said, kind of have to ride, right? Um, the, the Cowboys have a strong secondary. They have a good pass rush. You've got to do something to neutralize that. Having Jalen Hurts carry the ball is probably the best way to do that because he's just that effective doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I, as I said, 24-13, I don't think it's going to be a game where people are turning it off, not that they would, but turning it off in the second quarter saying, oh, the Eagles got this. I think it's going to be a grind, but I think they'll pull away in the end. Do you realize if the Eagles win, they then have a bye, they then play at Houston. Yes. Where they'll certainly be favored. Then you come home against the Pittsburgh team. Steelers are terrible They are this year. not good. No. Not I mean, they're, good. They're, they're hitting rock bottom. Yes. I think after that is Indy. Uh, at Indy, yes, they're not good. Frank Reich has not figured it out there. No, and Matt Matt Ryan has not been good. No, has not been good. I mean, again, you know, they always say, "Don't look ahead, don't look ahead." I, I, I can see, look I, ahead. I'm I, not playing the I game. I see where you're going with this. I mean, you win this game, that would be six. You have a. Ch- I don't remember who's after Indy. Oh, I think it's Washington. By the mm. way, Carson Wentz broke a bone in his in his hand, in his throwing hand. Yes, yes, that is correct. Um, just everything's coming up. So they Wentz go back to Heineke? for Washington. They're better off with Taylor Heineke, I think. Maybe so. You know, Daniel Snyder wouldn't say that, but I think they are. Daniel Snyder's going to be a little busy. <laughs> Daniel Snyder's got Fair a lot point. of other things he plans to Fair say. Fair point. That'll be interesting. All right. Uh, we're going to come back. we got leading off, but we would love your phone calls. We had a little bit of a lull in the lines. So if you are preparing for the game or if you're headed to the game, you're driving down here and listening to us. We would love to hear from you what you think, what you see, what you expect. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.